Hello and welcome in to this special signing day edition or post-signing day edition of the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I am joined as always by Andrew QB11. Good morning, sir. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. I, I didn't ask how you were doing. I just said good morning, but <laughs> I'm, I'm happy you're doing well uh, also, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and also, I mean, of course... I, uh, Joined by Scoop Duck owner and insider Justin Hopkins. Justin, how are you? Fine. How are you? Great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where we all hung over this morning or what the hell's going on here. I mean, we should be after that day, right? Like, uh, what an epic day for Oregon recruiting. Uh, you know, probably, I don't think probably, definitely the, the most exciting signing day in as long as I've been following recruiting in Oregon. So maybe that's... Yeah where we start just like talk about what a day that was yeah sorry i, was, I blacked out a little bit when you were doing the intro and i just kind of gave you a generic response <laughs> you know, that was like <laughs> one of those moments where someone like asked you something in spanish and you're like i'm doing great thanks um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh no yeah yesterday uh went about as well as oregon could have hoped um morning started off with two five-star commitments in less than seven minutes and uh Yui Galele and Bowen. Um, Yui Galele is already signed. Bowen is not. Uh, we'll see how that saga ends up playing out here, possibly over the course of this episode. Uh, and then, yeah, things just kind of snowballed in a positive direction for Oregon after that. Oregon picked up commitments uh, from Jaden Lamar, flipping from Notre Dame, from Dalen Austin, uh, flipping from LSU. Um, they also – who else am I forgetting here, guys? There was a lot of, lot of action yesterday. Yeah, I mean, there was just a lot. Johnny Cornelius, I mean, shoot, it was just a, a full day. But, yeah, I mean, you know, to put a – maybe to put a bow on it, um, I don't know, probably – I would have to say, without a doubt, probably the best signing day I've ever been a part of or covering, you know, for Oregon for that from that perspective. I think just uh, the quality of player that Oregon got, the way they closed, and, and I say this regarding, you know – either with or without Peyton Bowen. I mean, that that's great. It would be obviously ideal for Oregon to hang on to him. Um, they may or may not. I guess we'll see how it plays out. But even should they not hang on to him, it's still a tremendous signing day. It was fun. It was eventful. Um, and, it, it, and again, you closed about as well as I think any, any head coach at Oregon has ever closed on uh, for a signing day. And, and hopefully, you know, my hope as from me doing it the way I do it, covering it media wise, hopefully maybe it maybe might help Oregon fans, you know, rest a little easier and not be so knee jerky about news coming out. And, oh, we've lost him or, oh, he's gone or. You know, because it certainly seems like we, we turn into a bunch of chicken littles pretty darn quick anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the order of events, Junior Angelau got things started the night prior uh, on signing day eve, um, transferring in from Texas. The morning started with Austin Novosad uh, flipping from Baylor out of How could we forget um, the four-star quarterback tra uh, commit flipping over from Baylor after almost a two-year commitment in which Baylor did not take a quarterback in the 21 or the 20 or sorry in the 22 class just to accommodate him in the 23 class um so that was a huge pickup uh then obviously the bowen and ue galele flip um, commitments dale and austin flipping from lsu um caleb presley flipped to washington prior to solomon davis committing to oregon about three minutes later uh jade lamar flipping to oregon from notre dame with johnny cornelius transferring over from rhode island 
honestly, probably the biggest commitment of the day was Ashani Cornelius, um, just from the standpoint of the fact that he was probably the most touted offensive tackle in this transfer portal cycle. Um, and then finally, uh, this morning, we got the news, not for 2023, but 2024 top 100 player and uh, four-star wide receiver Jordan Anderson committed to Oregon. Yeah, At the end of it all, yesterday, uh, you know, Coach Coach Lanning uh, smoked a cigar. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good video. Obviously, well deserved. Um, yeah, just kind of kind of cool, maybe to see that personal side of him. Um, and it's clear that you know whatever uh, your own reaction is to it, and I don't mean like you two. I mean an Oregon fan. Uh, it's pretty clear that he was pretty excited about how the day had turned out. So. Obviously, kudos to him and the staff for for closing incredibly incredibly strong. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing to note as well is everybody is signed with the exception of Bowen and Silva. Um, And as you've reported on Scooped Up throughout the day, sometimes with JUCO kids, uh, the paperwork's a little bit more complicated than just signing an an NLI. Um, And so that's expected to come in today. Not really a lot of concern there. Uh, Oregon was able to hold on to Blake Purchase last night, um, withstanding a really huge late charge from Deion Sanders in Colorado. A huge pickup. I mean, really, like we'll we'll talk about these players individually here in a moment, but I think that that's going to be one of the guys that plays early for this Oregon class. Um, so, yeah, and then we're just waiting on Peyton Bowen to make a final decision. It sounds like there's been some indecision since his initial commitment, um, and we'll see where that ends up playing out. Yeah, that was a huge get on – holding on to purchase I, I you know i woke up this morning and saw that his letter had come in and he had been announced by by the school which was huge because I, I mean honestly it looked to be maybe trending a little bit toward colorado and coach prime over the last few days and obviously when when he didn't get announced yesterday that's certainly enough to start making you think uh, maybe this is maybe this one's not going to break our way especially after the ducks added you know mateo at that position. So, you know, holding on to him was a huge, a, another huge win, right? I mean, it's just like win after, you know, whatever. I mean, we didn't win them all, but on the balance, you cannot come out of yesterday feeling anything but, uh, I, I think, ecstatic about the day the Ducks had on the trail. Yeah, you know, it just, it was, you know, so many guys that they were able to close on and, and flips that you don't normally see. I mean, you, you flipped a guy that, was a defensive back committed to LSU. That's DBU, right? I don't dispute that. Uh, maybe two or three Washington fans would like to dispute that, but uh, LSU's put put guys in the league and in, in, in the first rounds at that position. So, you know, that was a really big win for the staff. You know, the, the ability to close on a guy like Jaden Lamar, the ability to close on a guy like Mateo, um, really, honestly, just pulling him from the clutches of, of USC uh, you, you know, I, I, I guess you could argue it, but outside of, of Solomon Davis, nobody was really like a, a fallback option. Nobody was, oh, well, you know, they're just trying to fill a spot and get a guy at this position. And I don't feel that they were doing that with Solomon Davis, but I could see how some might argue it because he's a three star. You know, the rest were legit guys. And, and uh, you know, I know we started off this little segment here talking about Blake Purchase. I think I speak for QB 11 here that that's a good looking dude. That's a guy that, you know, just bursts off the edge that, that really kind of adds that dynamic speed. Uh, maybe that terror, if you will, coming off the edge out of the linebacker position, just kind of moving around, but 
he's going to bring that pass rush that was so desperately needed in this defense. Might not be like a 10-sack guy his, his freshman year at Oregon, but I think just getting him close to that and getting him ready and getting him out there and, and watching him, you know, hopefully grow for the next two or three years. That could, that, that, that's a guy that I think is really kind of a, a hidden gem of this class and, and, and huge to, to hold on to for, for Dan Lanning. Maybe let's stay in the edge room. Cause uh, I mean, obviously as we've been talking about all season and then all postseason is, you know, pass rush and edge play particularly has been a huge need on this roster. Um, obviously it's asking a lot for true freshmen to step in and, and, deliver that there but somebody has to for oregon next year i mean there wasn't much in the portal we didn't get anybody in the portal yet out of the edge group maybe maybe there'll be some in the second round after the after the bowl games are all done but you know let's talk about the edges we got in this class obviously we've been talking about purchase you know mateo's another one you know qb you know what do you like who do you think we can can contribute next year outside of purchase that that might be able to help us get that pass rush we need yeah so uh by my count, we have four edge players. Mateo can categorize as an edge. I think he plays more of a down defensive lineman position, kind of what Dorless played this year um, and what Trayvon Walker played at Georgia. It's a very similar framing athletically, actually, to Trayvon Walker coming out of high school. Um, so, but yeah, let's start with Jaden Moore. We'll start. He's the, the lower rated guy in the class, and I think he's the guy that's going to need the most time in terms of physical development. Um, but he's a guy that I've I've really been high on since the beginning of the cycle. Really, really twitchy and can bend. Um, I think he's a player that likely needs a year to get stronger prior to like playing real serious reps, especially on rundowns. But just his overall athletic profile is such that I'd be pretty surprised if he wasn't at least an average pass rusher at some point. Um, just the way he gets off the ball, his his quickness, uh, his ability to get skinny. He he has really good coordination, um, and so like yeah, he's a point eight seven three star. But that's a guy I think that's going to be an impact player at some point. Um, Tatum Tuioti, son of Tony Tuioti, he's actually practicing with the team already uh, for the Holiday Bowl. So he signed actually before signing day. Um, I I I think he's a player that is probably more the opposite of more. Like he's probably closer to being what he's going to be now. Um, not saying he's topped out because he certainly isn't. I mean, any 18 year old kid still has physical development to do, but because he comes from a coach's family, he plays with extraordinarily high motor, really strong kid longer than I actually thought he was. Uh, he's legit six, three. I, I was always under the impression that maybe he was a little overlisted, but I have some, some friends that coach in Oregon that, uh, played against him, played against Sheldon and they just raved about two So I would anticipate that he's actually a guy that I think could probably end up finding his way onto the field early um and especially with him being not only an early enrollee mid-year guy but a holiday bowl early enrollee where he's basically going to have the 10 practices or whatever they have for the holiday bowl all 15 of spring and then all fall camp he's going to have basically a full year under his belt by the time that fall of 2023 rolls around um i think that that really um, Justin nailed my opinions on Blake Purchase. Really athletic guy. Uh, I think he's the twitchiest guy in the class. I think he's the most explosive. I also think that he's the most ready to go in terms of just the way his body composition is put together. He's got he's pretty thick already, um, and he just plays with fantastic motor. Like he just he he makes every play on film. Um, I've watched two Cherry Creek games live this year, and he's a stud. Like he, I think he had like twenty two sacks as a senior. Um, I don't think he's going to come in and 
really like outdo maybe what KT did as a true freshman with sacks. I'm not expecting like a, a massive production from him, but he's a player that I think is going to be on the field and is going to be someone that enhances our pass rush um, year one. And then I guess that kind of brings us around to um, Yui Angulele. And I think, like I said, I think he'll rush from the exterior um, in some packages, but I also think his length will be a weapon on the inside. He's already 265 pounds. You see the way he's built. He's not going to get smaller, um, but he's he's he, it's not normal to be 6'6", 265, and have the body control and the short area athleticism he does. Uh, I fully anticipate that he's going to be a guy that plays as a true freshman, um, and I think that depending on what happens with Dorless, his role could be fairly substantial. Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and start there since that's where you ended. I, you know, uh, I I think Mateo is an exciting player, and of course, you know he's he's ranked so highly because of the things you mentioned. He's a kind of an elite level athlete. Um, he's the guy that that has. Uh, quote unquote, the most NFL ready body and, and a guy that could get there. So you're going to bring him in. You're going to get him on the field. Um, I, I think you're going to see some raw spots with him, of course, as a true freshman. There's a lot of room for him to grow, but just to have kind of that, that mold, you know, to start working with, you know, that's a guy that has such a high upside. You're willing to, to take that, get him in the program and, and get to work on him. So I think he'll play. Uh, but in, in two to three years, I think this is a guy that really uh, gets talked about nationally, uh, hope, hopefully for Oregon. You never know what the transfer portal anymore, but um, the Ducks did really well there. Uh, and, of course, it's a huge, huge win just to pull him right out from underneath the nose of, of USC uh, once again. So it seems to not matter who the coach is at USC. Oregon's still getting their dudes out of Los Angeles. Um, I don't remember all the guys. I, you know, Blake Purchase was another one we talked about earlier. Absolutely love that guy. I think you just get him on the field uh, and let him run around a little bit. He's going to make some mistakes uh, again as a true freshman, but the the absolute upside and like you said, the twitchiness is there. Um, Tuiotti probably ends up, and again, not all these guys are going to start. Not all these guys are going to play. But with the four four game redshirt rule. I think it's pretty likely that you see all these guys on the field at, at certain points, maybe at different points um, throughout the season, because let's be real, that that edge room uh, is not stocked right now. There isn't a lot of talent there. There's a lot of room for these guys to come in uh, and have an opportunity to play. So Tatum Tuiati, just, you know, your your lunch pail motor guy, just never going to quit. I think he's kind of been tucked away up here in Eugene. Uh, assuming that he's a coach's son and just going to go to Oregon. If this young man had a different last name, if he was someone else's son, I think we'd be talking about somebody that's, you know, in that top 150-ish range, really good player, really strong player. I know that this kind of feels like to the staff, one of the hidden gems of the class, um, and not just because his dad's a coach there. He's just a really good football player. Um, Jaden Moore, Again, I know that, you know, we've had these discussions before QB, either on my pad, podcast or on the site, you know, Jaden Moore's a developmental guy, right? Got a lot of tools, got a lot of things you like, um, you know, got some, got some long arms, uh, good body control, just a good looking athlete, more than likely not going to come into your program and be a key contributor the first year. And that's totally okay. You know, you're, you're bringing this guy in, uh, let him get to work, let him get stronger, let him get used to the program. Uh, and I think that, again, you're taking this guy and keeping him away from Washington and USC and UCLA and the other schools 
where you know we know don't have the national reach that Oregon does to recruit the way they do, and there's not a lot of his body type out west. So again, just to put a bow on that for me, like we said earlier, I think you're still hoping that somebody jumps in the transfer portal. I don't think there's an edge player right now that gets the staff excited, but that doesn't mean that won't be the case in two weeks because, you know, as Georgia and Bama and Ohio State and some of these other schools play their their bowl games, um, there's going to be guys that jump in the portal. And I think if you're Oregon, you're patiently waiting for that guy you want. Um, and And obviously, you know, what I've said before, and I'll say again, I think Dan Lanning has some some form of a budget in terms of NIL. So you've got to understand that maybe the guys they missed on in the cycle or, you know, should, you know, I think we saw a byproduct of Dante Moore going to UCLA, you know, that allowed for him to maybe use whatever was allocated there towards Austin Novosad, maybe helps with Mateo a little bit, um, spicing that up. Um, we don't know, but I think you'll you'll see that there's probably some money uh, NIL money, if you will, set aside for them to be able to go out and target an edge player. And I think that's something we'll see in the transfer portal. Even if it's not a guy they love, they'll probably go end up getting somebody that's like, hey, this looks like the best option that's going to jump in. Let's take our chance here. So let's stay on the defensive side of the ball a little bit. Uh, maybe move inside of the to the DL. You know, Oregon signed, I think, five commits there. In addition to the ones we already talked about, you know, you mentioned Mateo QB is kind of a, an a in-between guy. Or, or more of a, a DLDN. But we got Amari Washington, four-star out of Chandler, Arizona. Johnny Bowens, another four-star out of uh, Converse, Texas. Terrence Green out of Cypress, Texas, another four-star D-lineman. Uh, obviously, then we also added on top of that, Mikhail Gardner out of Peoria, Arizona. And and at the nose, Tavita Palme out of uh, Layton, Utah, who I know had been recruited hard by Utah all throughout the cycle, and Oregon was able to, to get him signed as well. So uh, let's talk about those five additions. Uh, you know, Hop, you want to go first? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, again, another strong group. Um, really tough to say that there's like a day one guy in that group, right? I think Amore Washington's probably going to come in and com- compete for the most snaps um, out of that group from a recruiting standpoint. Really good player, really huge get. Once again, as I'll circle back, this is probably the best defensive tackle prospect out West, probably by a pretty significant margin. And so obviously for Oregon to keep him, not only do you get him, you keep him away from USC, you keep him away from UCLA, Washington, whoever. So a big get big get there. I, re- I really like Johnny Bowens. I think this is a guy that Oregon, um, you know, pushed really hard for. I know Texas A&M was in there at certain points, but just the ability for him to kind of move around and, and offer some versatility on that defensive line and not necessarily be maybe somebody that's slightly undersized that you're trying to slide inside and, and make work. I think he's going to be a natural fit there. Terrence Green, really good player. Um, I, I think might fall into slightly a bit more of that developmental category, but with all the tools that he has, he just got such a, a tremendous amount of upside that I think by year two or so, uh, you could see something kind of coming from him. These guys are going to need to play snaps. So I, I think that's a guy that might fall into, hey, watch his, watch his four-game window to make sure that he's, he's able to redshirt this year. 
Um, so that's how I feel. Mikhail Gardner, again, a body type. We don't have a lot of out West, not a highly touted guy, barely a top 500 prospect. But again, when you're out West, you've got to take these body types. I think Mario Cristobal really taught us that lesson, and it's an important lesson. Uh, love to get for Oregon, but probably falls into that developmental category for me. And that's again, that's totally okay to be that guy. Tavita Pome going to come in with a lot of size, uh, really strong, just really naturally strong, uh, thick through the bottom half. Probably a guy you could put out there in some run stop situations and say, hey, anchor the line for us. You know, help keep these guys eat a couple blocks, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, kind of falls into that in between where you're going to need him because of his size, but also um, a little bit developmental. But more than likely, because Oregon doesn't have a lot of depth there, I think you'll see him playing uh, maybe a little bit more than others this season. Um, I don't think I'm missing anybody. I think that was all of them. So QB, I don't know what your thoughts are behind me there. Yeah, um, this was, in my opinion, the strongest defensive line class that Oregon's been able to kind of put together here over the last – I mean, honestly, like we have the benefit of hindsight on every other defensive line class. The best one I can remember in memory was 2011 when Oregon brought in Buckner, Armstead, and Balducci together. Um, this group has more more bodies, and I think it's actually of similar quality. And I'm not projecting projecting two of these guys to be first round picks like them, but in terms of what they were coming out of high school, right? Like Armstead was the five star, Buckner was a low four star, as was Balducci. Um, whereas these guys, you've got a bunch of mid to low four stars in this group plus uh Ulele on the edges and out as a uh, as a five star guy. But just kind of individually going player by player here real quick. Like Amari Washington is has been my favorite guy since day one. Um just super twitchy. Like in terms of like first step quickness off the ball, like when that ball is snapped, he he is really, really unique. And I've had the benefit of get to walk getting to watch him live a few times this year. And he like I've, I've I always sit on the opposing parent sideline um, or, or stands, and you just hear parents talking about like, "Wow, that number seven kid or number fifty-two, depending on what color jersey they're wearing, like that kid is he shouldn't be that fast and that large, like just turning and running down running backs with with relative ease at almost three hundred pounds. Um, he's got good length, really, really quick. I think he's a guy that's going to find his way onto the field as a true freshman. Like if I was going to pick one guy to play. I think it would be him um, kind of transitioning over to, to the other guy from Arizona, Michael Gardner. Michael Gardner played for one of the better teams um, in Arizona this year in Liberty. Like people don't realize, but I, I think outside of the Trinity league in Southern California, like six, a um, like greater Phoenix area, Phoenix Metro high school football, but is probably as good as it gets out West. Um, and Gardner was just absolutely dominant on their run to the state championship game this year. Just like made plays all over the place. Uh, a little bit shorter, I think he's. He kind of reminds me more of Dorless in the way that he's built. Um, he's like six two, six two and a half. Got pretty long arms, but he's really again just another really mobile guy, really active. A lot in the same way that Dorless was. Like Dorless would flash from play to play coming out of high school. Um, Gardner does that as well. There's some consistency stuff. So a lot of, I mean, all of these kids. When you're talking about linemen, offensive and defensive, <clears throat> technically they're almost all pretty much a mess. Washington's not, but you have to keep in mind that Washington played alongside Brandon Buckner, who was at was at Oregon here the last couple of years before hitting the portal this year, whose dad's an NFL offensive line or defensive line coach for the Jaguars, who had been training athletes in in Chandler for the last decade. So. Um, he's had some some really high level professional training technically, 
So Washington is unique in the sense that he's going to be coming in with a higher baseline of technical aptitude. Uh, Gardner's a player, though, that I think he's going to be a pretty dangerous interior pass rusher once his time comes. Um, but I would I would be surprised if he's a guy that's breaking into the lineup real strong in, in year one. We'll just kind of have to see how things progress for him. I don't know if his, what his status is in regards to early enrolling. Um, ter- moving over to the guys from Texas, Terrence Green is a monster. I mean, like, he's the closest thing to a Buckner or Armstead body type that we've taken since. Uh, I guess Kenton Kamatule would be the other one that's like that. But he legitimately 6'6". I mean, just massive kid, just huge frame. Not not tall and linear like like a Jalen Jelks, but just big kid. Like and and he's he's big now. He's only going to get bigger. Like he's just massive frame, wide hips, wide joints through his knees and ankles, shoulder wide shoulders, broad, just big boy. Um, and he's going to be a guy that is get, like in my opinion has the highest upside of anybody on the defensive line class just because of how massive and long he is. Um, he's going to be a guy that can really like play two gap, play that four eye um, in the same way that, that we watched Buckner and Armstead do when they were uh, in their, in their final years at Oregon. And and just because of his length, he's going to have an advantage on 90% of offensive linemen he faces. Um, and he's, he's a, he's a way better athlete than he should be at that length. Um, he can change directions better than he should. And it's funny because if you watch his high school film, they have him playing up in a two point stance, like he's an edge player. Um, that's not what he'll be at Oregon. He's not that kind of athlete. He's not a. He's not like an explosive pass rusher. But his length will cause problems for guards. I mean, they're not going to be able. To think of it like a jousting match. Like he's playing with a with a three foot longer joust than everybody else. Um, he's going to be able to get his hands on those short interior offensive linemen in the Pac-12 um, before they even have a chance. So really excited about him. I don't know if he's a guy that plays this year, but he is going to be a big player at some point for Oregon. I, I would be very surprised if he didn't pan out. Um, staying in the state of Texas, Johnny Bowens, big pickup. He's, I think, kind of somewhere between Washington and Gardner. He's longer. He's like 6'3", 6'3 and a half, about 260 pounds right now. A uh, guy that can that has like really, really good get-off and explosiveness in the short area, um, can bend a little bit. I, I talked to a reporter in Texas this year who has covered a lot of his games at Converse, um, and just they just raved about like he just makes plays from everywhere on the line. They move him all over the place depending on matchups, and he just eats no matter where he's at. And uh, when he wants to be dominant, he's the best player on the field. And so I think with him, you're you're developing the body, developing the skill set, but you're also um, trying to get him to a place where he's playing with that super high motor on a down-to-down basis. And a class like this um, creates the depth that will allow for for something like that to be the case where he's not playing 100% of the snaps and having to conserve energy. It's like when these guys come in, they're going to be able to go. Um, and, and then, yeah, Tavita Pomee or uh, Pomee, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Uh, apologies, phonetics are not my, fa- my favorite. Um, but he's a big, big brown kid. I mean, he's just built like a square. He's human leverage. Um has more range than you would expect from a guy who's probably what, like six, one, 320 pounds, uh, but can really like, he, he can really control that a gap. And uh, because of the way he's built, because of the, how low his center of gravity is, he's a guy that's going to be able to two gap, sit down and just eat blocks and, and free up your second level linebackers to go make plays, uh, which is really what you're looking for with, with those zero technique interior defensive linemen. I would, I would anticipate like most, nose tackles he needs a year or two 
um, just to get his body ready because it's tough to bang with 22 and 24 year old men on the interior of those offense on the interior of the offensive line as a true freshman 18 year old kid um, who doesn't have nearly the same exposure to a, a professional training and weight room and, and technical training. So uh, this is a group I'm really excited about. This is a group I think that we really see the fruits fruits of maybe a year or two down the, the road. Uh, but I do think that at least one or two of these guys is going to break into the rotation this year and make early impacts. Before Doug carries us through, uh, Doug, QB, I, I don't know about you guys, but this is, I think, my favorite position group that Oregon signed in this class. Doug, uh, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think the the amount of guys we brought in who are at a high talent level, uh, have the right body types, the right athletic profiles, um, and just the depth, you know, of that class in that room, it it's pretty. And I'll I'll throw edges in here too, right? I think if you look across both, both the the interior and the edge, uh, just bringing in so many guys at these positions of you know edge certainly of need right now. Uh, interior D line, I mean, Oregon's got a lot of guys, but you know, on the roster still, but a lot of those guys, you know, probably have one year left. So it's the perfect time to bring to bring in this group you know, play, play them the snaps that they can play this year, get them in the weight room, get them in the strength and conditioning program, the nutrition program, get them ready to roll. And now you've got just an excellent group of, of people who can, who can contribute not only in 23, but 24, 25 and beyond. So I, it is one of my, I, I'd have to I have to agree. It's, it's certainly one of the favorite rooms in this class, if not the favorite. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent with that. I don't, I don't know how you could argue any other room. Like especially when you combine it with the edge, because I know some people don't like change, like try to keep them separate, but when, especially with how mixed of a, of a defense we play in terms of three, four, four, three, four, two, five, like all the different fronts we play, they all end up kind of getting thrown into the same pool, competing for the same reps um, to bring in the four edge guys we talked about and the five, like the nine guys that are really going to be the future of your front seven. Um, and uh, those are going to be really difference makers players. I think they're the guys that upgrade the physical profile from what we've been used to. Um, and the best part is, is that like, we're not in a position where these guys have to play as true freshmen, except for on the edge. Um, the edge is a little bit more dire of a situation, but returning guys like Casey Rogers and Keon Ware Hudson, uh, and, and Popo Amavai and possibly Brandon Dorless. Um, and, and I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody here, but like there, there's, there's mature players with productive playing time coming back. Um, so it's going to be a luxury to get these guys onto the field this year. Um, and it's really going to give you time to transition the guard in 2024 when another larger crop of those uh, experienced upperclassmen interior defensive linemen take off. But yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that like if we go to practice on the first day of fall camp, like the, these guys are going to stick out relative to the older guys just because of the body types that they possess and, and they're, projectable traits um and and that's what's exciting right like if you really want to take this thing to the next level Oregon needs to become more dominant on the front and I think this group accomplishes that you know what's kind of crazy to think about is when you know Mario Cristobal took over that was like a point of emphasis he started changing the body types a little bit and then it seems the last couple of years kind of got away from that you know so to speak and you know here we are once again I think to your point QB you start looking at these guys on the on the commit list, on the signed list, and it's like, oh yeah, like you said, these guys are going to show up, come into town, and and it's going to be immediately noticeable. Like, there's a new kid, there's a new kid because of you know because of their size and and some of those other things, which 
uh, as we know, the SEC programs are built on. Yeah, I mean, like, like at the, I know, Doug, you were at the Georgia game. Like, when Georgia's defensive line comes out of the tunnel, they just look different than ours did. Um, and I don't mean that with any disrespect to our players because our players fought hard and did what they could. But, like, those are just different body types. And, like, I think Mario accomplished that relative to what Oregon was prior. I mean, think back to 2016. Like, Rex Manu and Austin Malawata were our two, our two defensive tackles, guys that were, like, 5'10 and six foot. And just not this. We had a bunch of these same like small body types um, all over the line, and I think Mario overall upgraded that. And I think that really this is just the next generation of of taking this thing to the more nationally elite level. Like you gotta you gotta bring in these kids with with the requisite length and projectable traits. Like the 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 thing I think this is a, a macro trend across this class as we talk about it is that the. This staff, uh, Marshall Malco, uh, Dan Lanning, the, the coordinators, everybody involved in the recruiting department, whether it's Trey Dean, whoever's watching tape and evaluating, there is a there is a premium being placed on traits and projectable toolsy players. They they have faith in their ability to to teach these kids how to play football, and they are going, but they are going to focus on taking the guys with the best projectable athleticism and size possible. Oh, and that's clear. Like some, even our three-star guys, like are some of my favorite commits. Uh, I know you mentioned earlier Solomon Davis. Like I'm really excited once we get to the corners to talk about him because I like, frankly, think he's probably the second best corner in the class. Like I think he's really, really, really good. Um, and it's because of the skill set that he brings in athletically and the size that he possesses. Um, so I, I would say that this this staff is not very concerned with what the rankings are. Um, I think it just so happened that they've done a good job evaluating guys and it matched up and we have a high rated class, but I think that it's really for them primarily about the tools and projectable traits um, because every single one of these guys checks off the boxes from a physical standpoint. So before we get to the corner room, let's make a stop over at inside linebacker. Um, Oregon signed just one commit at the inside linebacker position, which may be a little surprising to some, maybe a little surprising to me. And and obviously with the news that broke since we started recording that Noah Sewell, Noah Sewell is going to the NFL draft. He just announced that on Twitter uh, a few moments ago. So uh, he's moving on. Uh, Jerry Mixon is the lone signee out of the 2023 class thus far. Linebacker out of uh, San Francisco, California, you know, high three-star recruit. QB, tell us a little bit about what you see in, in Jerry Mixon. Obviously, he's not the highest-rated guy, you know, 700 on, on on three from a national perspective, number 700. But, you know, he has that body type you're probably talking about, right? 6'2", 200. Yeah, so um, on the thing yesterday, they had him at, at 6'2 and a half, 225. Like, and you, when you look at him, like, fir- firmly believe he's 225 pounds already. Comes from great bro- bloodlines. Uh, his cousin, the first cousin is Joe Mixon. Um, the all-pro running back for the Cincinnati Bengals, who, like, really should have been a duck the first time around. Justin can get into that if he wants to. <laughs> um, but <laughs> that's not the point. The, he's got he's got fantastic athletic traits. I mean, he's he's a he, he plays, like, four different positions for his high school team down there in San Francisco. Um, he's, like, a safety. He plays linebacker. He plays running back. He plays receiver. He's just an all-around tremendous athlete. He's got fantastic body control. He can run. He can change directions. Um, he seems to be a pretty willing tackler. And and just based on his production, he seems to like want to make every play and have good football character. So um, I, I think that Jerry Mixon's a player that has a lot of projectable upside. I, it, I wouldn't expect him to like start or play a major role this year, 
Uh, that doesn't mean that he doesn't turn into a really good player down the line. Uh, and, yeah, I was a little bit surprised that we only took one. I mean, especially now with, with Sewell declaring, um, you have five inside linebackers on scholarship going into next year, uh, which I think probably puts you in a position where you really need to take a scholarship guy out of the portal. Justin, anything to add on this one? Sorry, I must have got clicked out. My bad. <laughs> um, no, I think to add to that, though, um, I, I like Jerry Mixon. think it's a great get. Um, I, again, like QB says, uh, the bloodline's there. So clearly you're kind of banking on that, like you said, traits and, and projectables a little bit. I'm not sure that this is a day one you know, starter, but I would imagine, I would imagine he's probably going to be a season long contributor. I doubt he'll get to redshirt this year. Um, you know, but let's, let's be real. They went into the transfer portal and got Justin Jacobs at Iowa and are banking on him being the guy. So you went and got an early commitment there, which you could argue has been, uh, the top linebacker, uh, to enter the transfer portal thus far. Uh, so clearly they prioritize that knowing they need somebody ready to play this season. I will say personally, I think if Oregon didn't didn't hit the mark on any position group in recruiting this year, it was linebacker. I think you needed to find two to three guys. I think you needed to find at least two inside guys for you to develop. I do like Jerry Mixon. I would have loved to see them get maybe a little higher ranked guy that that looks maybe a little more surefire a little more ready-made. But I do suppose if you bring in Justin Jacobs, whom you have committed, who looks really good, and I'm very excited about, and if you can manage to go find another guy through the transfer portal that you really like, um, obviously really softens the blow there and probably shores up that position group. So I'm not pushing the panic button by any means. But again, if there was any one position group that I would probably be critical of in recruiting this cycle, it would be linebacker. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of end up seeing Jacobs being more of an outside linebacker, like what Funa plays, that Sam position. Um, maybe maybe he does end up playing inside with the departure of Sewell. We'll, we'll, we'll see, but I agree. I thought that they really needed to take two or three inside linebackers in this class. I think the problem was is they didn't feel like they were in a position where there was two to three quality guys on the board that they could get. Um, they they when they when Blake Nicholson went to Florida State um, and um, LaFowle went to uh, Texas. It felt like that was kind of the whole board. Like it was those two plus plus Mixon. And I just don't know that there was a lot of guys out west that they really liked. They 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 tried to offer some guys um, from the south, but I think that there was some pretty ridiculous NIL consideration in a class that I just I don't think this was a great linebacker class not even nationally, let alone in the in the West Coast footprint. Um, and just looking at some of the guys that they're offering and in a good position for in the class of 2024 at the inside linebacker position, Justin Williams from Texas, uh, Dalen Williams from down in, down in uh, Southern California, you can tell that there's just a higher quality prospect available in the next class. I was, I was going to follow up your point with that. It wasn't an especially deep linebacker class. It wasn't an especially deep offensive line class either. This cycle uh, wasn't tremendous at linebacker. And what you saw as a byproduct of that is that both of those position groups uh, commanded a premium in terms of NIL, in terms of, you know, I think that there was a lot of guys that some of the big name schools 
pursued a little more heavily than they normally would have in a given year. But given the fact that there wasn't a lot of these guys, uh, specifically linebacker and offensive line, you had to pay a premium and make sure that, um, you know, make sure that you got, got them committed. Yeah. And offensive line was a position where Oregon was going to have to take numbers linebacker. I think they can get away with taking one as long. I, I do think they still need to add one more transfer now. Um, and it doesn't have to be like a one and done starter type transfer. Like if someone that they think has some developmental traits hits the portal that's got three years of eligibility left, I don't know that that would be a bad take either. Like I don't. I think that the top of the rotation will be fine with guys like Brown and Bassa, uh, but I think that you just gotta. It's mostly about what what what's behind them, because um, we haven't really gotten to see a ton of Jackson or Tagger yet. Um, so we'll we'll see what ends up taking place. I, I th- I'm glad that they were disciplined though. Because here's the deal, like taking guys that you you don't think have the traits or the goods to become good players doesn't fix your problem either because then you're just playing guys that aren't any good. Um, so being disciplined and only taking the guys that they think enhance the program is the right mode of, of movement forward, in my opinion. Yeah, I say this all the time to people online is if if they're a, if it's a guy that you can't put on the field, it's not depth. Right. Like just having a guy on the roster, but if you can't actually put him on the field, that doesn't count as depth. It's just a body. Maybe it helps in practice, but it doesn't help you in a game. So I agree with you there. And like you said, we got Taggart and Jackson and Brown and Bassa. And I guess Jacobs, if you consider him, you know, maybe as someone who might play inside, might not play inside. Um, and then mix it, of course. So, yeah, I, th- I think we need another body there, but uh, I also don't think it's it's around pull the panic accord time at all. So we'll see what comes up in the portal, and if not, we'll uh, we'll see what comes up in, in 2024. And yeah. Last thing here, Doug, real quick. Like, if, if you're looking at this roster and signing day and, like, what's missing, like, there's two spots where you definitely need bodies still. Like, your brain – so the edge room going into next year is now – all the freshmen that we've discussed, Funa and and Jacobs. That's all you got. And and the red, the two red shirts from last year, Austin, uh, sorry, Anthony Jones and um, Amarion Winston. So like you've got all freshmen or redshirt freshmen and Funa plus Justin Jacobs. So if Jacobs is playing on the inside, then you like you need two more edge players, um, or else you're going to be playing all freshmen and redshirt freshmen out there. So, like, both those positions, I think, are the positions of largest need now as we look forward in the portal. If you're an Oregon fan, like, keep your eye keep your eye out for quality edge and quality inside linebacker. So let's move on to corners. I know this is a group you were anxious to talk about a little, little earlier, QB, so now we're here. Uh, let's just move one at a time here down the list. Obviously, you'll start with the highest-rated guy in the class, uh, Dalen Austin, a four-star, top 100-level player out of Long Beach Poly in, in Long Beach, California. Six foot, six and a half, six foot, half an inch. I mean, he's good height for a corner. Obviously, flipping him from, as you said before, DBU, LSU uh, on signing day was, is a commitment that was largely expected to go to the February signing day, but Oregon was able to get pen to paper yesterday. So, you know, it's a guy also who might be a factor in the return game, might be an automatic uh, plug-and-play guy to help, you know, bolster Oregon's return game there. QB, what do you like about Dalen Austin? I love Dalen Austin. Justin can attest to this because I've been texting Justin every day now for the last five months asking for updates on Dalen Austin. Um, this is my favorite corner out west in the class. He's super twitchy. Like, 
not not Clark Phillips Twitch Monster category. Like we're gonna we're gonna retain uh, Twitch Monster uh, trademark for for only really really special guys. Uh, but Dalen Austin is especially when you consider his length is really really twitchy. He's got long arms. He's super fluid. He doesn't lose in transition. Um, he he can carry guys on throughout the route tree. He's got no problem changing directions. Like I think that Dalen Austin has the instincts and the physical talent to be like an absolute stud. I think he's right on par with Jalil Florence out of last year's class. I think they're two of the better corners that Oregon signed in a long time. Um, and I think that Dalen Austin's a guy that's going to be competing for snaps like day one, um, especially because I believe he's an, a mid-year early enrollee. Uh, he's a guy that I, now with Kyrie Jackson and Dalen Austin in the fold, I don't think Oregon is in a, in a position they need another transfer corner. I think that with with those two plus Florence Tucker and Manning, um, regardless of what you can get from someone like Cole Martin or someone like Solomon Davis, I think you've got a lot of bo- a lot of really talented corners that just need reps now. I mean, you just need to play these guys. They just need to get get those reps under their belt and, and turn into really good players because Dalen Austin is a stud. I, I I actually think he's underrated by the services. I think he's that good. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, on the heels of what you said, this position group went from very, you know, I would, I would almost want to say very concerning to, uh, I'm not very concerned now, you know, Kyrie Jackson's going to come in and, and whatever you get out of him, I know he's kind of been up and down at Alabama, but Still, I mean, every year we'd be happy with Alabama scraps. <laughs> and and I don't feel that, you know, Jackson's totally a scrap. But again, that's a guy that'll come in and should be able to really steady that room. But I think the fact that you added Dalen Austin late like you did, um, you know, again, like you said, if, if Jaleel Florence can develop, if Jaleel Tucker can develop, uh, maybe Dante Manning can take that next step. Uh, you know, you're looking at, at, at at four or five, potentially six guys there competing for those two or three spots that you probably feel pretty good about. Um, and so this is kind of a pretty big turnaround from this room that, uh, you know, a year ago, I mean, really when, when Demetrius Martin came in, this room was in, in pretty big trouble. Uh, he did a really good job getting Christian Gonzalez in there to, to steady it last year. Um, he obviously did an even better job this year. Dale and Austin, probably a guy that doesn't redshirt this year, like you said, agree with that. Um, you know, really like Cole Martin. He's a coach's kid. He's going to know what his dad commands. Is he a developmental guy? Maybe a little bit, um, a little bit undersized, which, you know, isn't the end of the world. So he'll just have to work a little bit harder for it. But um, at least you know what you're going to, at least, at least coach Martin knows what he's going to get out of his own son. And like you, I see a lot of upside of Solomon Davis. He's kind of one of those late recruiting cycle risers. He's kind of a guy that's, you know, sort of jumped on the boards late. And let's not forget, we're still seeing some residue of COVID seasons. You know, we're still seeing guys that uh, maybe didn't get exposure the way they normally would or or saw seasons shortened or whatever the case might be. So I think Solomon Davis is a guy that might just kind of, you know, fill uh, in that category. So, yeah, really good room. You add Kyrie Jackson. I don't think they'll add anyone else in the transfer portal, but I wouldn't I wouldn't totally close the shut the door on that either as well. So you kind of skipped ahead to Solomon Solomon Davis there um, a little bit. So he's a guy, again, that was added just yesterday. Um, you know, was considering Stanford as well. Again, another tall guy, six foot. You like Oregon with this staff really seems to like to try to get the taller corners. Uh, you know, it was a, it's been a consistent theme since Meat got here. 
coaching we got here. So Solomon Davis, uh, you know, three-star uh, corner out of uh, Ran- Rancho Cucamonga. I always love saying that. Rancho Cucamonga, California. Uh, QB, Solomon. Yeah, so Solomon was a guy that we didn't really know a lot about. Um, I know that the staff had been working on him for about, what, like two months, Justin, when he was still coming to Arizona? Yeah. Um, no, they – yeah. Yep. This is a guy that they identified during his senior year and just really loved his film. And so when he decommitted from Arizona, um, took a look at his film, it was Oregon, Notre Dame, and Stanford were the final three going after him really hard down the stretch to signing day, Uh, which I think tells you that he had a good senior year and some bigger programs identified that. Uh, But, yeah, Davis – I love Davis. Davis is a big kid. Like, he's six foot, legit six foot, and he's probably about one buck 185, buck 90. He's a thicker kid, too. Um, which is something that that they want a corner in this in this defense. Uh, the corners are asked to be involved in the blitz game. They're asked to be more physical um, in the run game in terms of how they set the edge. Um, and so I think that like he fits that body type perfectly. The thing that was really impressive to me though, is I don't usually like watching offensive highlights highlights for defensive guys, but just watching Davis run routes is that kid is really really explosive. Like. He comes out the gate, and he's he's. You could tell he's got a, tr- a track background of some kind. He's really explosive. He's got good strides, but he can also like break down, gear down, and change directions. Um, and he's fluid in transition. So whether it's getting into his stem and breaking off a route, or playing in coverage and um, and having to play reactionary football against a guy who's running a dig route, and he he can open and close his hips. He's really really fluid. I. Again, Davis is another guy. Um, and I'm not just saying this about every one of our commits, but in my opinion, Davis is undervalued by the ranking services. And I think that that's largely just due to the fact that he was kind of a late bloomer. Um, and it's really his senior season where he this kind of came about. He's a guy that I think – I actually think he could play before Martin personally uh, just because of the way that he's built physically and how mature he is uh, and just how well he runs because he can really run. Well, I think uh, what I like about your statement there is just something that we've said a couple times is that this staff doesn't really seem enamored with star chasing. Sure, there's five stars in there. You go and get a guy like Jurgen Dickey who looks, you know, absolutely ridiculous on film. You go and get a Dalen Austin, some of these guys that are, you know, top 100, top 150 players. But there's a lot of really good hidden gems on this class, and it tells me that this staff works hard at evaluating, really trusts their evaluations. And like you said, is, is really looking at projectables and traits. Uh, again, a six foot, uh, you know, tall corner like Davis or, or safety or nickel or wherever you want to put him. Um, you know, that's a really good player to go out and target. And I do, I do like that about this staff. They don't seem to be just hamstrung on star chasing. They did piece together a really good class by star ranking, but you know, a guy like Kenyon Sadiq is a guy they went out and targeted pretty early on who steadily rose in the rankings. He wasn't, you know, supremely high ranked there for a while, but um, after people got to see him, he he moved up the ladder. I don't think that was Dan Lanning calling 24-7 sports and, and, and rivals and saying, hey, bump my guy up. He's really good. I think it was just, you know, people took notice because like, oh, who is this kid? He committed to Oregon. He's, he's actually pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, so that's kind of how I feel that was a natural progression there. Well, when I look at Solomon Davis, I see a lot of the same traits that you see on – like if you go back now retroactively after seeing what happened to Christian Gonzalez and seeing what's happened to Christian Roland Wallace who just transferred to USC that was recruited by Meade to Arizona, 
like both kind of ranked in that same like 88 to 90 range. Um, but guys with similar bodies and athletic traits, you watch their high school it's, film, it's very similar. And I'm not saying that uh, Davis is going to turn to a first round pick like Gonzalez. Um, but I'm just saying that when you, I, I really trust me with these evaluations. Like he, he's proven to me everywhere this guy has gone. I mean, so he goes, he's at Arizona. He brings in Christian Roland Wallace. who has been their best player. Sorry, excuse me. Their best player the last four years. Now he's transferring to USC. He goes to Colorado. He brings in Makai Blackman, Mark Perry, and Christian Gonzalez, all three of which transferred to other Power 5 schools. Two of the three, maybe all three, are going to get drafted with Gonzo being a first-round pick in this class. So uh, I, I think that this is just kind of another one of those guys that, like, there's a set of, of skills and traits that uh, Coach Meat likes and looks for, and Davis, to me, fulfills those. Like, he's just a big, really fluid, athletic kid that can run, like, I, like I don't think we're ever going to be in a in a position where we're just too slow at corner with as long with as long as meets here because he very very clearly prioritizes speed and athleticism almost over over everything. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Cole Martin. Then uh, obviously the son of Coach Demetrius Martin, uh, four star on the composite and on the on three uh, prediction. QB, what are your thoughts on Cole? Yeah, I, I like Cole. Cole's a smaller kid. He's like probably 5'9", five, 5'10", five, so he doesn't have the length that Austin or uh, Davis has. But he can really run. Like, he's he's fast kid, uh, track guy, does a lot of kick returning. I watched him house when I went to a Bosha game this, this fall. Watched him house a kick return from like 102 yards. So, um, can really run in a straight line. Uh, I, I actually think I could see him end up playing in the nickel, which is weird. He's really thick. Like, he's put together – He's almost built like a little running back. Um, and I, I could almost see him moving in and playing in the slot, playing some nickel just because he's a fantastic tackler. I think his best trait is his, his toughness and his speed. Um, he can really tackle well. He flies all over the place. He was actually playing a substantial amount of safety for Basha this year. He wasn't playing as much corner. Uh, and I think that there might be a little bit of stiffness there that, that might it, safety might be the ultimate landing spot for him. Uh, whether it's in a nickel capacity or whether it's playing deep. Um, but he's also a coach's kid, so he, he might just be able to play corner. I mean, it's tough. Kind of like it's weird. When I watch Cole Martin, he reminds me a lot of former Oregon safety Avery Patterson. Um, very similarly built. Avery Patterson was actually recruited to Oregon as a, as a corner and ended up moving to safety over time and had a really, really strong career at Oregon as kind of a shorter, undersized safety. So. We'll see what happens with Martin. I like him a lot. I know he's a tough kid. Um, I know he's going to play hard. So that those are all good traits to have. Yeah, speaking of uh, nickel, uh, you know, the lowest rated commit in Oregon's class um, out of uh, St. John's in Washington, D.C. It's a guy that I'm not sure what about the rating. Maybe one of you two can get into that. But Colin Gill, you know, again, six foot kid. Um, you know, sounds like he's a nickel prospect for Oregon, but you know, despite his low rating, he's a guy that the staff identified and got a commitment from pretty early in the cycle. So they must see something there. And and maybe you two can fill me in a little bit on Colin Gill. I don't know much about this kid. Um, I'll just go real quick. You know, I, I think it's pretty clear that he fit uh, what Oregon was looking for, whether that was Coach Pallage or Coach Martin. You know, he's a nickel, I think, almost all the way through really just fits that position really well. And I think that both of those coaches, uh, you know, I, I know Coach Meat was largely um, the lead recruiter there, but I think they both agreed like, hey, this kid's got a lot of the things we're looking for. 
uh, can cover, can run, can tackle. And, and it just seemed like that, you know, they went early on him, trusting their evaluations and seeing a fit there. And additionally, I don't know that there was a lot of great nickel options out West. So I think they kind of capitalized on that. And that's, you know, really how that one came around. Will be another nice hidden gem in this class, but we'll see, uh, you know, we'll see how that one plays out. Yeah, really limited tape on Gil. Um, he's he's big. Like, he's a big kid. He's really well put together. Like, he's going to step on campus looking like a redshirt freshman, not a true freshman. Uh, he's like 6'1", 200, 205. Um, strapped up kid, really physical tackler. Um, my, my questions with him, just because of how limited my exposure is, um, and, and he very well could have the skill set. I just I'm not seeing it on tape is like, how does he play in reverse? How does he cover? Um, but I, as in terms of playing in the box, I've got no questions. Like he's very Bennett Williams like in the way that he tackles um, the physicality that he plays with as a box player, which makes sense for that star nickel position that, that they have in this defense. Um, if you look at some of the guys that have played that position, whether at Alabama or Georgia over the last decade plus, um, a lot of guys of this kind of physical toolkit, a lot of guys in that 6'1", 205, 210 range um, who are really dependable physical tacklers who can play, play off blocks and, and be kind of almost like a hybrid linebacker, right? Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about Gil. I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of expectations just based on the fact that I don't have a lot of exposure. Like I've seen basically like two two-minute highlights of him from his junior and his senior year. Um, whereas the coaching staff has had the ability to get eyes on him and work with him at satellite camps and on campus and things of that nature. So uh, I'm, this is a guy that I'm, I'm kind of treating like a, like a president, like a, like a white elephant gift under the Christmas tree. No, I don't really know what I'm going to get with him. I know some of the details of his physical profile, but um, if he can cover, this is going to be a, this is going to be a gem of the class because no, nobody's talking about this kid. Um, but and he's really physical already. So if he can cover and play in reverse, then you got yourself a damn good nickel here. Well, going back to something you just said, QB, you know, Coach Meat has done a really good job of identifying the guys that, you know, that he's looking for and fit at what he's doing. So I guess maybe we'll give him the benefit of the doubt with Colin Gill once again. Um, could be a, could be just a really dynamic kind of guy in the Pac-12 this year, or not this year, but at you know at Oregon. All right, let's move over to the safety room. Uh, let's start with Cody DeCambra, 5'11 safety out of Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, uh, four-star on the composite and on on three, top 300-level recruit. You know, Justin, why don't you start with Cody? Yeah, a little undersized. I think if you're just, you know, being upfront and honest, um, that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. You know, Oregon has seen, uh, you know, guys like Boyette and stuff be undersized and still play with a lot of heart and a lot of passion. So, um, it doesn't mean the end of the world for him. I love that he plays at a powerhouse program like Bishop Gorman. So you've got to really like that about him, um, not only in terms of, of what it might do for you in recruiting down the line, but just for the fact that, you know, he's used to playing against good competition or with other good players. Um, you know, seems to have an, a knack for wanting to stick his nose in there and and uh, and and hit uh, opponents hit offensive players. So I like that about him. Uh, you know, I, not a ton. I'm not going to sit here and blow sunshine. I think he might be one of the maybe slight concerns for me 
in this class, but um, he's definitely not a make it or break it kind of guy for the team. And, and should he come through and have a really great career, I'll have no problem, you know, maybe eating just a tad bit of crow on that and being and, and additionally being excited for him to, you know, have a good career at Oregon as well. Yeah, uh, I, it's kind of funny. I'm way higher on DeCambra. Um, so DeCambra was the first ever eighth grader to compete at the opening finals in 2019. That was the last year, I think, it was in Eugene. Um, and he was an eighth grader, and he ran a 4.53 laser 40. He had a sub-four-second shuttle. He had a 40-inch vertical. And at that point, he was an eighth grader, and he was 5'9 half, 160 pounds. Um, and when you watch him on film, the thing that stands out immediately, at least to me, is that this kid can run and he's like a joystick. He can move in any direction, anytime change of direction is not a problem. And if there's anything that this Oregon safety room has needed desperately for a long time is to get faster and to have guys that can play in reverse and really play that true deep safety position. And Oregon hasn't had that. We've recruited box safety after box safety after box safety. And it's been this just like constant fight battle of having these guys that are just, complete liabilities playing playing back there in, in, in half field coverage. And so while DeCambra is a little maybe a little bit shorter than you would want, uh, he's probably about 5'10, 5'11. Um, he can really run. He can cover there's a lot of film of him at Gorman getting over the top on guys. Uh, he can he can actually come down and play man in some of those quarter match schemes that we like to run. So I, I like I like DeCambra a lot. I think that he's a player um, that makes us a lot more athletic at safety, which is a position I think we really needed to improve in that in that way. Well, that moves us to the final DB commit in this class, uh, safety Tyler Turner out of San Antonio, Texas. QB, what do you like about Tyler? Yeah, also Turner's with the team now, right? Yeah, I believe he's with the team now. Justin might be able to confirm or deny that, uh, but I love Tyler Turner. Turner's super like productive. Uh, at a high level down there at Brennan in San Antonio. Um, fantastic tackler, really mobile, plays all over the place. I mean, depending on down and distance, he'll play linebacker at times. Um, looks really comfortable playing in reverse, can run sideline to sideline. I think that Turner is, like, one of the best players in this class, period. Um, Turner's a guy that I'm really excited about. He's He was a really tough recruiting battle with Texas and Oklahoma that Oregon was able to pull out um, primarily due to the relationship with Coach Pallage. Uh, he was committed to Coach Pallage and Paler prior to, to flipping to Oregon. Um, so this is a really big pickup, and I think this is a guy that is going to see the field early and often, uh, and he's going to make us better at safety. Yeah, uh, really kind of feels like the end of the yang, right? Tyler Turner and, and Cody DeCambra, you know, two different styles, two different players. Um you know, both have a role in that defense. And and like you said, I think Tyler Turner is probably one of the more underrated guys, once again, in this class that I think Oregon did really well recruiting, identifying early, and making a top priority. So, um, you know, does he show up and start immediately? Probably not. But I also get the feeling this might not be a guy that redshirts next year. So um, I guess we'll see how that goes. But I, with you, just like you, I'm, I'm pretty high on Tyler Turner as well. And the fact is that he's showing up and getting bowl game practices and will get spring practices and the benefit of the weight room in January uh, is really going to help him uh, achieve that goal of playing and not redshirting this upcoming season. Yeah, the thing about Turner is like he's just really instinctive. Like with uh, we'll, we'll talk about Bowen, too. Um, 
but like with Bowen, like Bowen athletically is a freak, but he's 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 really raw um, from actually playing safety, like how safety is supposed to be played. But Turner is way more developed as an actual safety prospect. Like he he knows how to play the position. He plays with fantastic instincts, and that's something that I think gets underrated by fans. Like I, I and I am as guilty of that as anybody. Like get real excited about the guy that runs the four four, the guy that's got the great size, um, but. Having I mean, uh, the big, most important part is having good instincts. If you can't get to the right spot and you're running the wrong direction, it doesn't matter how fast you are, how explosive you are, how good you look getting off the bus. And Turner has those like intangible, instinctive traits um, in spades. So I'm really excited about Tyler Turner. So I guess this is as good a time as any to talk about Peyton Bowen, who it doesn't sound like we expect to be a member of this class after all, but. I'll, you know, just kind of recap a little bit of the saga there. He's He's been committed to Notre Dame for quite a while. Um, I know Oregon obviously had him out for a visit at the UCLA game, was trying to get him back on campus on the final weekend. Oklahoma was also pushing hard, was able to kind of block that trip to Oregon. I think all the signs seem to be pointing toward a flip to uh, flip to Oklahoma on signing day. And at his ceremony that morning, as we talked about briefly, he he didn't even have the Oklahoma hat on the table. The finalists were Notre Dame and Oregon put on the Notre Dame hat, took it off, put on the Oregon hat, declared to Oregon, um, you know, posted it on his social media. And then, and then it appears the, the next round of recruiting uh, started Notre Dame, you know, was working on him. His parents seemed to be, you know, maybe not in alignment with his decision on Oregon. And it sounds like maybe he's going to end up back at Oklahoma after all, even though they weren't on the, the hat on the table yesterday. So one of the more wild signing day, um, you know, sagas that hasn't completely played out yet, but uh, obviously five-star talent would have been a huge get in this class. Doesn't sound like we're going to get him now, but uh, if any of you want to talk about any of that, go for it. Um, I'll do it real quick. Uh, it, personally, I don't see him signing with Oregon. So um, no ill will. I get it. I know these are big matters. Parents get involved. Fans don't like it. Um, it is what it is. I, I think we could all agree that, uh, you know, I know Andrew doesn't have any kids, but you and I do, Doug. We would do anything for our kids. We we want to do what's best for our kids. Um, some feel that that's being more involved. Some just tend to let them make their own decisions. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, fault any parent for doing whatever they feel is best for their kid. I think that's the case here. I think Peyton Bowen really wanted to go to Oregon. I'm not sure that 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 mom and the parents were totally on board with that. Um, wild recruitment, right? I mean, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, all these battles, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Oregon, you know, o- Oklahoma lean. Next thing you know, he's doing an announcement on signing day, only hats on the table or Notre Dame and Oregon, you know, picks Oregon as we know. Now here we are basically 24 hours later. It looks like he's going to sign with Oklahoma, I believe, which wasn't even a hat on the table. So um, nothing will surprise me anymore in recruiting. I'm not even sure that this is the craziest story I've ever heard, but it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely up there and it's definitely entertaining. And uh, I guess I would just hope that the Oregon fan base takes it a little better than I think the other two fan bases did yesterday, which, which seemed to really ream him for it. And again, it's a young man making a huge decision. I know the family's just trying to do what's best for him. So I'm not going to sit here and beat him up over it, but I don't think Oregon hangs on to him. And I think he ends up with the Sooners. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with everything Justin just said. Um, I, to me, like I, I know that this has been. I've been talking to some people from Oklahoma, 
and this has been like quite the emotional roller coaster for them and their fans uh, of a recruitment. Whether because there was a moment where Texas was the perceived leader, and M was Oklahoma was the Notre Dame. All while he's been committed to Notre Dame, then Oregon comes in, and so for me it was like I wasn't expecting the kid to, to commit to us yesterday. Um, so him not being a part of our class is certainly not souring my milk. Could when you consider all all the positive that took place and. I mean, shoot! Like, there's two guys committing at the army at the Army All American game um, that are Oregon heavy Oregon leans and Ashton Porter and Jamari Johnson still. So, and then you also have Roderick Pleasant who's still at large. So there, there's still a lot of prospects that there's two to three prospects to add to this class. I think that um, could even enhance it beyond what it is right now. Um, losing Bowen would would surely sting. I mean, you don't you never want to lose a five star prospect, but uh, I never really felt like we had him, so it doesn't really. I don't have that emotional burden that maybe some other fans might have with it. Can we move on to the offensive side of the ball? I know we're. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. We covered the. So we talked a little bit about obviously quarterback Austin Nova said a little bit earlier and on the previous podcast, but you know, after losing Dante Moore, uh, Will Stein, Dan Lanning and company were able to, to use that previous relationship with Nova sad and dip into dripping Springs, Texas and flip the longtime Baylor commit. Uh, he's a top ten quarterback in this class. You know, hundred top hundred kid nationally. Um, you know, Kibi, what do you like about Austin as far as what he can bring to the to the room down the road? Um, I, I just think he's a really a- accurate passer. I mean, watching his stuff from the Elite Eleven, watching some of his full games. I mean, he's playing at the highest level of Texas high school football in a really tough league in Austin. I mean, he's competing with Austin Westlake, Lake Travis, where Will Stein used to coach. Um, and he's just super productive. I mean, he led the of, – of Elite 11 quarterbacks nationally, he led them in touchdowns, threw 39 touchdowns this year to five interceptions. Really accurate guy all over the field, can layer the ball at all three levels. Um, he's not limited by arm talent. It, the, only, the only thing that, I guess, if you were to enhance him as a player would, would be maybe work on improving his speed. He's not a fast guy. But here's the deal. He is a good athlete within the pocket. He can make moves within the pocket. He's very well coached mechanically. His, his feet follow his eyes. He's able to make adjustments um, within the pocket to create time and angles for to make throws. And he's really, really confident. He just throws daggers down the field. I mean, they're not throwing a bunch of screens and uh, quick game to get him his numbers. He, he's driving the ball downfield against good competition. So uh, I'm really excited about Nova Sad. I think I think with some with some time in the weight room. Uh, this could turn into a really good quarterback. Well, and best of all, it's a prep, right? So you, now you get him for what appears to be the three to five year window. Um, obviously, not assuming transfer portal, but you know, you get him for that window. You get him. I think the best thing for Novasad period is going to be being able to come in and learn from Bo Nix for a year. Uh, Bo's obviously a leader. Bo's obviously proven. I think Bo's got so many great. You know, tremendous characteristics that uh, a quarterback needs. I, I think Novasad's in an ideal situation for himself. Very comfortable with Will Stein. Great relationship there, and learning from what should be a Heisman contender-ish quarterback this next season. So, love the pickup. Love the fact that the staff was very proactive, even ahead of Dante Moore decommitting and getting this put together. Uh, and ultimately, had they not gotten Novasad on on campus for a visit under the radar this thing would have never happened so uh give them credit for also keeping keeping this recruitment under uh under wraps so that that could happen 
Yeah, a funny story there. I had been, as smoke was starting to come up about Novasad, you know, maybe even prior to the weekend, uh, you know, I'd kind of been watching the Baylor, some of the Baylor boards. And even, even up until Tuesday, they were insisting he didn't visit Oregon. <laughs> so the, it was... It was very well kept under wraps, um, and then I think they finally came around on Tuesday and admitted that he he visited there and was going to flip, and and then it all kind of came together for Oregon. So I mean, just a just a huge huge work by Oregon to have, you know, to be ready for. You know, I think once Kenny, probably even before Kenny left, like once once he was seriously considering the ASU job and they were seriously considering him, I'm sure it, it seems certain that Dan and Marshall and everybody started started looking at other options, backup options, if you will. And then obviously once Will Stein came on board, you know, he had, he had some backup options and, and, and maybe Nova sad wasn't the only one, you know, that we had to play. And the fact that they were able to go out and make that happen in, in a matter of a week or two is, is really, really impressive. Uh, anything more on that before we move on to running backs? Here, no? Here's how I, well, for me, here's how I imagine this went down. Okay. Will Stein got hired, showed up in Eugene. Dan said, hey, look, there's Bo Nix. Go shake his hand. Hi, Bo. Nice to meet you. Okay, Will, go to your room. QB? Uh, we lost him. Yep. Jump in. Or not. Oh, oh did yeah. you lose QB? Oh. <laughs> no, we lost yeah. you, Justin. You oh, said, go I to your room, and that was the last thing we heard. Oh yeah, I, you know, I, I joked. Hey, go to your room and call a couple quarterbacks that you think you can, you know, get to come to Oregon potentially. So I, I think they immediately pivoted to get ready for the move of, of you know, Dante Moore flipping. And uh, you know, I'm, you know, again, that's a that's a Dan Lanning thing saying, hey, look, we're going to need to prep for this, and and I'm sure they did. And Austin Austin Novosad, in my opinion, was the was the best way they were able to prepare for that. I think it speaks yeah. a lot to the sorry. Uh, uh, QB, I think it speaks a lot too to the staff, right? I mean, this is a staff who is they're recruiters. Obviously, they're coaches, they're recruiters, and and you know you see sometimes other teams, and we saw this down the stretch of this cycle. There was other teams that got guys flipped on them late in the cycle, and they had no backup plan. They just they had nothing, you know. Uh, you know, and I think their QB gets poached, and then they're like, oh damn, what are we gonna do now? And the fact that Oregon was ready and prepared and had you know had not just a backup plan, but a high-level backup plan. I mean, it's a top ten quarterback in the country. I mean, there's 120 other schools that would that would have killed to have this kid, and and Oregon was able to get him, you know, relatively late in the cycle, and that just shows like they're always looking, they're always preparing for you know what the next thing may be. So, I, and real kudos to the staff on that one. Yeah, ultimately, like this just shows that. Um like these relationships that these coaches have built over time matter because Stein comes in. Yeah. He's new to Oregon, but he's not new to Novosad or that family. And he's known him since they were in seventh, eighth grade. So um, back going all the way back to when he was still coaching at Lake Travis high school down there in Austin. Um, and so it just kind of shows that like the power of these relationships, when you can combine them with a brand like Oregon that has national reach. So um, kind of goes in line with a lot of the work that Oregon has been doing in the state of Texas in this class. And I, I think it's, it's good. It's been galvanizing. I mean, uh, it helps if you want to bring kids from across the country, it sure as hell helps to bring them in bunches. Um, so they, they have some familiarity around them. 
Yeah, let's move over to running backs. Uh, start with one of my favorite commits in this class. That's a guy Coach Lachlan identified early on. Uh, Dante Dowdell out of Mississippi. Picayune. Picayune? Picayune? Something like that. Mississippi. Uh, Dante Dowdell, you know, four-star, top 10 running back in the country. You know, big big body, 6'2", you know, 210, 220 kind of kid. What's the impact? Obviously, he's coming into a very deep room with Noah and Bucky coming back. Jordan James coming back. Um, you know, deep room, but he's a guy who's who's just a real specimen. What do you like about him, uh, Justin? Uh, like you said, you hit the nail on his real specimen. Great looking combination back guy that can that can uh, you know kick it up a gear. A guy that can run you over if he needs to. So uh, I I think he'll come in. I think you'll probably end up seeing him on the field next year. Just depends on how much. Uh, with those great backs returning, but if he's good enough, I'm I'm confident that they'll get him on the field. And uh, yeah, I, I love the pickup. Uh, I I think uh, he's going to be a great complement to what Oregon already has. And when Bucky and Noah Whittington are done, he'll be. I mean, I, he certainly looks like a guy that'll be a thousand yard rusher, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm really excited about Dante. I mean, he's just a monster. He's six two. He's probably two fifteen right now. That kid's not getting smaller. I mean, he just trains like he trains like a savage. Um, he runs really, really hard. But in he's not your prototypical big back in the way that he runs. Like he's not he's not just looking for contact. Like a lot of big backs in the past, like they're they they know they're big and so they're just looking for guys to run into. Whereas Dowdell will avoid contact. He's got good run skills. Uh, he runs like a smaller back while being able to pack the punch of being a two hundred and 15 pound 17 year old kid right um and so with, with Dowdell I think that his early we, we're pretty well established at running back for next year with Whittington and, and Irving um and I think James will step in and be that third guy in the way that Dollars was this past season but there's a role in our heavy package for that Jordan James played as a true freshman that I think is perfect for Dante Dowdell to step into so that he can get his feet wet and get some reps under his belt um, as a as a true freshman, um, and if there's an injury, I think he could be a primary contributor to the rotation early. So, uh, I, this is a huge pickup. It, it provides fantastic depth. It fixes. I mean, Oregon was in a position last year with four sophomore running backs. Uh, that was an unsustainable number, and so now you're starting to get some class separation. And Lachlan has really turned this into his room. And I, I know that that um, Dowdell is an absolute dog, and I'm excited to watch him play. So moving to a completely different type of running back, uh, Jaden Lamar, you know, flips yesterday from Notre Dame to Oregon. He's out of Lake Stevens, Washington, you know, more of a, a smaller, shiftier kind of back. You know, Justin, why don't you start with that and then we'll go to QB. Yeah, uh, you know, great, great little, uh, like you said, shiftier kind of back uh, and makes a perfect complement to a guy like Dowdell. Um, and I think that, you know, ultimately you have a pretty good complement there with with Irving and Whittington now. So it certainly seems that that's what Coach Locke wants to, you know, continue at Oregon. So um, I like it. I like that you're able to flip a guy from Notre Dame. I think that never hurts anyone's feelings as far as Oregon fans are concerned. Um, I think he's, you know, one of them maybe I don't want to say completely underrated guys in the class because he's a top 200 guy, but I, I think he's a, you know, worthy of his ranking. And and I do, I tend to get a little bit um, skittish about the North, you know, Pacific Northwest guys because the, the hit rate is so low. A lot of these guys get up, you know, highly ranked and don't pan out, you know, vice versa. So, but I think Lamar's good. 
uh, I really like that that the Ducks were able to get him. And again, I I think we've seen Oregon uh, at, since Dan Landing's arrived and Kenny Dillingham, we've seen Oregon really try and add some speed to the offense. Um, and that certainly seems to be a big reason why they prioritize Lamar. So another big get as well for the staff. Yeah, Lamar's a, an explosive kid. Like he can run, he tests well, um, and all the explosive metrics. Yeah, he, he's coming off of an injury. Um, I think during his junior season that was pretty serious, but had a really productive and strong senior campaign. Um, I think believe he led them to a state title at Lake Stevens. In fact, um, I think we're going to be having his offensive coordinator on next week to the show because. He's actually a friend of Doug and I's uh, to talk about Lamar a little bit more in depth, so we won't spend too much time here. But uh, I'm really excited about Lamar. I think he's a good um, change of pace from Dowdell, and I think he provides a different skill set in the fact that I, I think that he would be comfortable if you split him out into the slot. Um, and, and he'll give you some positional versatility as well, uh, be a good punt returner, among other things. So, yeah, I think this is a big pickup. Stealing guys from Notre Dame is always fun. Uh, no fan base melts down quite like a Notre Dame fan base. So uh, always enjoyable to to steal from their Christmas tree right before Christmas. Doug, did we lose you? Maybe he fell asleep. No, he. I didn't talk that long. Yeah, I guess he sort of. I was on mute. Sorry. <laughs> um, I was talking, but you, nobody could hear me. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess we sort of stole Peyton Bowen from Notre Dame, too, you know, and then he got stolen back away from us, so I don't know. But, yeah, uh, uh, you know, Notre Dame Notre Dame is fun. Uh, Notre Dame fan base is fun, for sure. Uh, uh, let's flip over to wide receiver. Oregon only signed two here, um, but they're I think they're two really, really good ones. Obviously, it all starts and ends with five-star – not ends, but starts with uh, five-star Jurion Dickey out of Menlo Atherton in Palo Alto, California. Um, big time commit. You locked in with Oregon back in the summer. Uh, you know, top thirty prospect, five star prospect out of California. Uh, big receiver, six three. You know, two ten. I mean, he he looks like a guy who could play. He could step on the field and play tomorrow for Oregon. So, uh, QB, tell us what you like, what you think about Dickey, and what he can bring to Oregon's receiver room. <laughs> Dickey's a day one plug and play guy. Like he's going to play a major role as a true freshman. Um, and I'm really excited to see him play. I think you can play him anywhere. I don't think he's limited positionally. If you wanted to play him in the slot, he'd be great there playing outside. He's he's super unique in the sense that he is not he is not built like a true freshman receiver. I mean, he's very like AJ Brown, Debo Samuels style, like structurally, like thick kid, a big guy who can really run, uh, changes directions well. And he's an absolute dog, super competitor. Um, watched him at the the um, the seven on seven event in Vegas this year, just like cooking guys in a bucket hat and just being a complete savage. And just athletically, he can run, he can jump, he can make every catch. Um, he can run the whole route tree. I mean, with some coaching under his belt and some even more advanced, like he's one of those guys that like, this is all God given talent. And with some, some good weight training and strength and conditioning and some coaching and refinement of his technical skills, like Dickie is going to be an absolute weapon, and I'm really, really, really excited to see him play. So uh, Dickie's probably my favorite commit in the entire class. Yeah, I, I think uh, obviously all the transfers are expected to come in and compete right away. I think we, I, I, I at least I, I believe we all agree. Johnny Cornelius is the guy that probably come in, come in and impact the program most. But from the from the prep, from the recruiting rankings, I think 
Jurion Dickey's clearly the guy that has that potential to come in and play right away, play meaningful snaps, potentially start games. You know, if things go well, even if he doesn't start, you're going to see him out there. I don't see any way in, in heck this guy redshirts next year. Uh, and like you said, he's just dynamic. He's just a like he like he gets it. He's just a guy that's come in ready made. Junior Adams doesn't have a huge project. He just really needs to figure out where to get him on the field. Um, so yeah, Jurion Dickey, you know the Tom Frank signee for a reason. Even had Oregon held on to Dante Moore, I still think Jurion Dickey's the guy. So Justin. <laughs> Hop recording from the middle of nowhere or something. I I strongly dislike this app. Let let's just make sure that that's no no. <laughs> but no, like I said, Jurion Dickey's the guy. Uh, he's just going to come in. He's going to play. And I think with him, Troy Franklin, uh, some of the others that Oregon has, Treshawn Holden, whoever ends up starting and playing, uh, this wide receiver group's loaded. Yes, that brings us to Ashton Cozart uh, out of Flower Mound, Texas. Another tall guy, 6'3", a little leaner, obviously. He's about, about 190, four-star recruit, top 200 kid. This guy has been all Oregon since he committed. I love, I love it when guys lock in and then they really, you know, are great peer recruiters, you know, both publicly and probably privately, but also just, like, bleed green and yellow online every day. And he's, he's the guy in this class who did it as much or more than anyone else, and I just love to see that. But I also think he's a heck of a player out of Texas. So, uh, you know, Justin, why don't you start on this one? Yeah, again, a nice polished uh, route runner, good receiver, good hands, um, you know, very dependable. I, I think those are all great things. It's been so long, but he was a one-time Oklahoma commit. And then Junior Adams went to work, obviously realizing this is a guy he liked. I think it was a big catalyst for the success Oregon had out of the state of Texas recruiting this year. Cozart was one of those earlier commitments out of the state, if not the first, can't remember off my off my very small brain, but he was up there uh, early on. So, yeah, just just love what he brings. I love that he's a different type of receiver uh, than Jury on Dickey. I think he complements him really well. And again, yeah, he'll I think he'll play this year, and I, I don't know how much, but again, him having a year to develop behind Franklin and Dickey and these guys and, and uh, you know, getting ready for the spot more than likely in year two, uh, it's going to be a really good receiver for Oregon to have. Yeah. I love Cozart. Cozart can fly. He, first of all, he's a deep threat. He can take the top off. He can really run. Uh, but he's also been training with coach hooks down there in Texas for two or three years now. And he's going to be arriving on campus one of our best receivers from a technical standpoint. Um, and, and that's something that is kind of rare. And so uh, for, for Kozar, I, I think that he finds his way into the rotation, whether it's in that second, second line behind the, the top guys, I think, which in my opinion will probably be like Dickie Franklin and, and, and Holden. Uh, but like, I think that he and Casper are both prime primed to have like breakout season in, in regards to being kind of like that second line of receivers. Um, and I think that Cozart's a stud. And I think that um, he doesn't get talked about because he gets overshadowed by Dickey a little bit. But Cozart has a, a whole lot of talent in his own right. And I think that Oregon did, in terms of a two-man receiver class, did as well as you could have possibly hoped and dreamed because this is really two players that I think offer a lot of explosiveness. Um, and they're, they're true receivers. They're not guys that fight the ball. Um, and struggle to hand catch. They're not guys that, 
don't love the game. These are two really competitive kids that have tons and tons of physical talent um, and well-developed skill sets as high schoolers. Yeah, so sliding over to tight end, I think this is a room that has a lot of a lot of guys who might not be here much longer, right? Between you know Patrick Herbert and Cam McCormick, who have both been been in the program now for four or five years, or in the case of Cam, going on year eight, uh, and then obviously Terrence Ferguson, who might be a draft pick next year. So behind them, there's there's only at now a sign, new signee Kenyon Sadiq, you know, probably one of the best high school players to come out of Idaho ever, uh, or certainly in in the recent past. So. Uh, he's he's probably a guy that we need to add. Or sorry, it's a probably position where we need to add more more to. And I know we're in on uh, potentially the Louisville commit Jamari Johnson in in January. I think that would be an ad that Oregon would like to see because they're going to need to add more talent to this room in the next couple of cycles to kind of replace those that are that are aging out and 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 going to the draft in the future. So let's start with Kenyon Sadiq then. So what do we see out of this kid from Idaho? Yeah, I uh, love Sadiq. He's super athletic, super explosive, more of a move tight end at this stage in his development. Um, he'll have to get bigger, continue to get bigger and stronger, uh, I think, to really excel as an inline blocker. But athletically, I mean, I don't know that we've signed anyone better since, like, Colt Lairola. Like, he can flat-out run. He, he moves more, far more like a receiver than he does a tight end in the open field. Um and he, he's a guy I think that gives you a ton of versatility in an offense now where the tight end is going to be playing off ball a lot more. So um, to me, this is like the best vertical threat we've signed in a long time at the tight end position, guy that can really, really run. Yeah, uh, love the pickup. Uh, I love the way you set the table there, Doug, uh, just with the guys that are aging out and the need to get uh, some prep tight ends in here because like, you know, like quarterback, you want to get some preps and develop them, not count on the transfer portal uh, any and every year. So, yeah, you're going to, you know, the, the loss of Maliki Mountaval, um, you know, probably amplifies this just a, a tad bit. Bring in Kenyon, uh, continue working on Jamari Johnson, who's making that early January decision. I think Oregon's probably pretty confident they know where he's going. Just a matter of that being announced uh, at the All-American game. If you can add those two guys, uh, Sadiq is, is signed, sealed, and delivered. But if you can add Johnson with it, I think you probably feel pretty good about this room moving forward. Um, you know, as we know as well, Oregon still kind of, I, I don't know if I want to say kicking the tires, but still, you know, battling for Deuce Robinson, uh, five-star tight end. I do think he's still considered a USC lean. Uh, good player, great player. That would be three tight ends in this class, which would be more than enough. But uh, even if they could just get Sadiq and Johnson, um, I like that they complement one another because Johnson's a little bit bigger uh, of a body type, uh, might be just more of your inline blocker, if you will, uh, than Sadiq. But Sadiq can do it all. And, uh, yeah, it looks good. Uh, Kenyon, uh, probably going to be unless injuries, which have played Cam and Patrick both, unless injuries come into play. Uh, you know, you you got a chance to see Kenyon Sadiq this season, um, but it might kind of hinge on on injuries as well from some of those older guys. Yeah, I think that the the primary focus with Sadiq here is getting him ready to play a very primary role the following season um, because of the departures that Doug outlined so eloquently. So um, I think adding one more in this class is important. I, I Justin, I don't know how much you want to talk about like the, the potential of a guy like Jamari Johnson, but just quickly going over him because he's someone that Oregon's a finalist for 
ahead of his January 7th Army Bowl decision. Like, big kid, huge frame, like, really good offset. Like, very good, yin, like, like yin-yang here. Like, big inline player um, who's a good athlete in his own right, but I think would be a perfect complement um, to Sadiq. And, obviously, Deuce Robinson would be a great complement, too. But uh, it seems that there's some Georgia smoke there heading down the, down the stretch. All right, let's move to the O-line. I think it's the last position group we have to cover. Uh, if, you know, number of guys, obviously, to cover here. Let's start with uh, Ayapani Lalaulu, who's the brother of Fayope, who's already on the Oregon roster, coming uh, coming over from Honolulu, Hawaii, of course. Uh, what do we like about Ayapani, QB? Yeah, um, little brother of Ope, Big Ope. He's a, a human square. I think I've used that. <laughs> to describe two players now today. Um, he's as wide as he is tall. He's probably 6'1"-ish. Um, and he is just a brick of human mass. And um, he's a strong kid, but he's going to need to reshape his body. Um, he's going to need some time in the weight room and, and on the, at the nutritional table to, to get his frame to where it needs to be to be able to move and play at this level. Um, but from like a raw strength standpoint, like there's some traits there that you have to like if you're coach climbing the staff, but I don't think this is a player we see play this year. Um, I think he's a guy that needs to, to get his body right before he's really competing for meaningful snaps. I, I think that this was, I don't think fans truly appreciate how difficult of a class this was for Adrian Clement. And here's what I want to say before I get to the Lulu. A, which we've already talked about, wasn't a very deep offensive line group in the prep level anyways, uh, especially out West, but, he's, but, but really anywhere. The elite guys commanded top dollar, which made that job even more difficult. Um, and, you know, of course, Oregon, you know, will have to have to pay to play there. I think that it was important for Coach Clem to do the best he could to find some prep guys that he felt were worthy of development that could come into the program. Um, sure, if you could get a guy or two that might be a little more ready-made to contribute, that's even better. If you can't, you go out and get these guys like Ipani and, and say, "Hey, look, I know that this guy's probably not going to play for me next year, but I'm I can't just I can't just go and get transfer guys, and I can't just go and get prep guys that are developmental. You needed a blend of both, which I think he's done so far. As far as Pawnee, yeah, probably a little bit more of a developmental guy. I think there's a lot to like there. Very strong, thick lower half. Could could more than obviously will be an interior guy for Oregon. Um, you know, you kind of know what you've got out of Ope already. And I think that that's a guy that could step up and contribute this year. So I think you're hoping that in a year or two, Yapani is also in that same boat. Um, and I know we'll get to the rest, but I do think Clem did a, a tremendous job building a class that features both guys that can come in and play right away at the transfer level and adding some depth uh, for the future at this position group as well. Yeah, so that brings us to another interior guy out of modern day in California, obviously a big feeder school, uh, Lepe Moala, the interior guy, 6'5". QB, tell us about Moala. Yeah, Moala is a guy who missed his entire junior year, which like typically is a really important year from a from a like exposure standpoint, getting offers. Um, and so like he blew up towards the tail end of this of his senior year this year, got a bunch of offers, um, and ended up committing to Oregon um, pretty shortly after after getting the offer. And I think that Moala is a guy with a lot of upside going forward. I mean, he's he's massive for the interior line. He's 
they list him at 6'6", 330. So if you take an inch off and 15 pounds, it's probably about 6'5", 315. Um, and he's a guy that has, like, really good athletic traits for the interior of the offensive line, plays with good balance, plays the game on his feet, um, can, can bring his hips and, and generate power. I think with, with further physical development and really technical development is important here more than anything um, because offensive linemen, I think, are the more the most raw in regards to what they can do physically coming in. Um, at the high school level, being 6'6 six, six and 315 is enough, right? Like you just step on the field, you're bigger than guys, and you play bully. Um, but when you get to the college level, everyone's that big. And guys are stronger because they've been in the weight room longer. And it's important to learn how to play with good technical base. Um, but the guys at Modern Day are really, really well coached. I mean, that's one thing that we always talk about with guys from Modern Day is that's more of a college prep program than it is like a traditional high school. Uh, and so Moala plays with a good wide base and he has good fundamentals already and a good foundation for Coach Clem to build upon. Um, but he's a guy that that I think is going to turn into a player at some point just based on the fact that He's got all the size and athletic traits you look for to be a good guard. Yeah, he, he, the term I want to use here that I think is I think Moala uh, will develop into a glue guy. And, you know, what I mean by a glue guy is does everything really well, doesn't do any one thing super exceptionally, but you notice him when he's not in the lineup, right? You, all of a sudden he's injured, he's dinged up, missing a player, whatever. You think, man, what's wrong? We can't get any, you know, can't generate, generate any run block or anything in the interior. Oh yeah, Mwala's not out there, and I, and I think that this is a guy that that looks like he could have a great college career, bunch of starts, uh, you know, just be a key cog in there for a long time. And again, you know, when he's not there, you notice him, and when he's there, he just, you know, you're like, okay, I I see somebody's in that position. Well, that's where I see. I, I don't think he'll be counted on this season. And I think that's tremendous. You get another year removed away from that injury, get stronger, get bigger, you know, all those things. Um, and I think as we saw this, this, I, I mean, Mario Cristobal is a, a good offensive line coach and, and, and Alex Mirabal is a good offensive line coach. But I think we saw this group take another step forward under Adrian Clem. So, um, you know, if you could talk about Mawala, maybe in a year, year and a half, two years, uh, having that time to develop under Clem, I think you're going to see a really good, strong, depend- dependable player there. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think that the, these are developmental prospects across the board and that's really the truth for offensive linemen outside of rare cases of guys like Penang Sewell all the time. Um, and so I think Moala has all the all of the size traits and movement skills that you'd look for. And so it's really just a matter of Moala doing the work in the weight room and applying himself and, and, and taking to the coaching because, to me, he's a guy that there's really no reason that he shouldn't be a good player at some point here in the next three years. Yeah, so – Next guy, another probably developmental guy. Oregon went all the way across the country to Lakeland, Florida to bring in Janoris Wilson, uh, another six six four, six five interior kind of guy out of Florida. Justin Janoris um, reminds me of a little bit of Marcus Harper, um, and just in the fact that I think this is maybe one of those little bit more hidden gem kind of guys that that Clem identified and went pretty hard after. You know, a guy like Janoris Wilson actually had some pretty good offers. Uh, was a one-time Auburn commit. I think when he backed away from that, I, I believe going off memory, Penn State and others jumped in and tried to get him. But, um, you know, Clem had kind of already laid the groundwork there. So it's going to be maybe hard for him to get a ton of snaps this season. But I could see this kind of 
secretly being a guy that works his way in to the to the two deep or maybe the upper portion of that three deep and just really kind of you know playing and maybe not redshirting this year not necessarily starting just i don't know we'll see it depends on how many more transfers they bring in through the portal uh, but I, I think Wilson has a chance to be sneaky good, does a lot of things really well, has good size, has good length. And uh, I, I think this is a guy that ends up with, with a, a really strong career at Oregon. Yeah, I agree. Um, Janoris, uh, I think it's funny because the Harper comp makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Um, because just like Harper, he Harper was about 280 pounds coming out, which is what they list uh, Janoris at currently, 285. Um, but just the way that his frame is constructed right now, he's not carrying around a bunch of bad weight like a lot of high school kids do. Like some of these 300-pound, 320-pound kids, it's like, yeah, well, we got to take 30 pounds off and then rebuild you. Um, like Janoris is just going to be a build. Like his frame is really well put together. Um, he's He carries his weight proportionally. He's like what, what you love to see, especially with a kid that's 285, right, is like you want to see a guy with a big power plant, big lower half, big bubble. Um, because that that way, when he starts to add that additional weight to get up to that college playing weight, it's being added to the right proportions of his body. Because guys that just add weight and it only comes on above the belt, like they typically lose bend, they lose flexibility, and they don't they don't move as well. Whereas guys that naturally carry the weight below the waist um, have the ability to to enhance their movement skills while getting bigger. Um, and Janoris really has that. So. I think he played tackle in high school. I think he's a guard at this level in the same way that uh, Harper is, just based on his his um, like his lateral athleticism. I don't know that he's a tackle, but he's really he's a strong kid that that moves very well for a guard, um, and he's got good length for a guard. So I think that that's a I he's one of my favorite offensive line pickups in this class personally. But uh, another guy. That probably is not someone you're going to need to break down before you build up. You just need to build them up. Uh, Bryce Bolton out of Palm Desert, California, another interior kid, probably. Uh, you know, QB, tell us a little bit about what you see with Bryce. Yeah, Bryce is an elite athlete. Like, and, and he, he better be, right? Because he's 255 pounds right now. So um, to me, this is a guy that you're projecting at center and it's going to take time, but you're going to build him up over, over the course of maybe two, three off seasons. Um, and he's a guy that you're like, by the time he's a redshirt sophomore is when you're expecting him to be ready to play. Um, and and I think that's a realistic expectation. I mean, here's the deal. If if Bryce Bolton hits and becomes a good player, it's because his frame takes to the weight room and he's able to add and sustain the type of mass necessary to become a good interior offense lineman. If he doesn't, it's because he doesn't. his body doesn't and he's unable to get big enough and he probably won't even be here by year three, right? He'll be hitting the portal and moving somewhere else. But the thing that I like when you take chances on guys like this, because Bolton athletically is phenomenal. Like he's, I guarantee you, if we if we have like a, a combine for all of our offensive line commits, that he is smoking everybody in all of the athletic testing drills, because um, he can really move. He's got great feet, plays with excellent balance. He he doesn't look to lunge and kill um, like like a lot of offensive linemen at the high school level do, who have the advantage of being massive. He fits. He plays on his feet, and he and he and he plays with great balance. And so, um, I I really like Bolden. I like taking chances on guys like this because, like, he's just his story is so. I don't know. I, I I'm rooting for the kid. Like, kid, uh, a Haitian immigrant um, with an adopted family in Southern California. Like a kid like this who's a who's a grinder, and I believe he's a hard worker based on everything I've heard about him. 
Like if he works hard and applies himself and his body biologically, his body takes the weight. Well, like this is going to be a kid that could be a really good player in a couple of years. Um, and so I'm glad that we're back taking some guys like this who have elite athletic traits that require a little bit of physical projection because um, it's t- very rarely when you strip 50 pounds off of a 380 pound kid, um, do they become an elite athlete, but a guy who's an elite athlete at this weight sometimes can maintain that athleticism or, or lose a small amount of it while getting up to the, to a appropriate playing weight. Reminds me, um, a lot of great points. Reminds me of Brady Aiello coming out of high school. Okay. Kind of a, he's not as tall as Brady was, but a very slender built somebody that, that, uh, Steve Greatwood worked at camp and liked a lot and brought in was very undersized. Definitely had to put on some pounds. I think, Aiello was around 260 pounds, 250, coming out of high school, was a swimmer. And, uh, you know, like you said, they come in with some really good athleticism. Uh, they come in with the ability to add some weight and, like you said, become kind of that, that just that strong athletic guy that w- will work really well for you uh, in polling situations and, and things like that. So, um, like we talked about with other rooms, this is a guy that adds some versatility for Adrian Clem. He's not a mold of the other two or three guys. So all, all of a sudden you end up with all the same body types and all the same, you know, strengths and weaknesses. So um, again, kind of a yin to the yang with some of the other guys and, you know, a guy that wanted to be a duck begged to be a duck. Um, and, and from my experience, those guys that, that really, really want to come to Oregon uh, end up kind of coming with that chip on their shoulder to work harder, knowing that they've got some ground to make up on the guys that were either taken before them or are higher ranked. Uh, so I think you got to feel really good about a guy like Bolton. And I, I, I think this is not a huge risk, but a risk worth taking for Adrian Clem and a guy that if you get enough transfers, which it looks like they will again, you can take a chance on, take a flyer and give him some time to develop. Yeah. I mean, this is like, I, as someone who's been a Wisconsin fan outside of my Oregon fan in my whole life, like Wisconsin takes five to six offensive linemen every year, three of them hit. Right. And so, if 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 we're gonna adopt that strategy, and I I think it is the right way to do it because it's such a developmental position, and there's just so much that goes into it into these guys becoming good players. Like I don't mind taking some flyers. I don't even know if it's a flyer. Like I think this is very clearly strategic and targeted. If you look at his skill set, like he has traits that you want on the offensive line. Um, but if you're gonna do it, do it on a kid like this. Do it on a guy who is a grinder who really wants to be a duck who has extremely high base level baseline level athleticism. So um, I agree with everything Justin just said. Just I I think that this class is is a class that we will look back on and there will be like two to three good players that come out of it on the offensive line. And Bryce Bolton very well might be one of them. Um, and I think that he's a guy that because of how well he moves and like some of the center pole stuff that we saw this year with Alex Forsythe that I think really could develop into a good center. So the lone tackle in this class, signing class, is um, George Silva, six-seven, uh, tall, tall kid, uh, JUCO, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, obviously hasn't signed yet. You talked about that earlier, uh, Justin. You know, tell us a little bit about Silva and then UQB. Yeah, probably. You know, if we're if we're objectively looking at it, probably the most ready guy um, in this offensive line group that is not a transfer. You know, JUCOs technically really don't count as a transfer in my mind. 
Um, so, you know, discounting Ajani and any and 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 Junior Angelo, I think this is the guy that probably has the best chance of coming in, <clears throat> pushing for a starting job, competing for a starting job, playing a ton of snaps, even if he doesn't start. Um, I, I, I think this was a great get for the Ducks. I know a lot of other schools pursued him, um, you know, and, and were coming for him. But, uh, you know, again, Adrian Clement built that relationship that he was able to lean on, uh, ultimately signing him. So, yeah, maybe even like, you know, Silva's just really not talked about enough. But here we are. This is a, a, a guy that's, you know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, hovering right around 300 pounds, um, going to be a little bit more developed than just your run-of-the-mill prep guy. Um, you know, would you love to have added Caden Proctor into this class with him? Absolutely, but I'm not sure that Proctor would have beat him out. I mean, I think it would have certainly been a a viable uh, battle between the two for who played more or, or or started or whatever the case might be. So, yeah, I, I think fans have kind of lost track of this one. Uh, I know he hasn't signed, but as I've said on Scoop Duck over and over, it's just uh, some more paperwork and hoops he has to go through to get that done. But uh, there is no concern internally. And uh, I, re- I really love this pickup for Oregon. Yeah, to me, this is like a huge, huge upside pickup. He's massive. I mean, six seven, probably. I think they list him on his, on his huddle currently at 320 pounds. Um, and he's got arms like he could reach. He, he's not asking you to hand him the potatoes at Thanksgiving dinner. Like he's just reaching across the table without even like leaning forward in his seat and snatching him up. Like he's got, he's got long, long arms. He's got really good um, athleticism. I think that Silva is a guy that with one year of development becomes like a high level player, like a really high level player. Um, as long as he's applying himself, because he's new to the game too. Like Silva is another um, African immigrant who hasn't played football a ton. And, but you just see the raw size and athleticism. Uh, he was a, he has a soccer and basketball background. Um, and he's a guy that has a lot of eligibility remaining. He's only going to be a sophomore at Oregon this year. So um, I think I, whether it's a redshirt season, whether he's the, like the third tackle this year and gets to play a lot of developmental reps and garbage time reps. Um, I think that he's like your succession plan for now added a Johnny Cornelius at right tackle. Like to me, this is a guy that has super high end, like potential NFL style upside. If, as long as he develops the skill set, because like physically he has all the tools that you could want. So let's, uh, we talked a little bit, uh, three, two more guys to talk about here. Uh, we've already talked about Treshawn Holden, Justin Jacobs, and Kyrie Jackson on previous episodes, but the two new transfer commits for Oregon are both on the offensive line and both like huge needs, not just going forward, but for this 2023 season, right? Uh, you know, obviously, getting the the guard out of transfer for three-year starter transfer at Texas, uh, Junior Angelou, Angelou, um, obviously was injured for the 2022 season, but started three straight years uh, for Texas before that at guard. This is a guy who's a plug-and-play, you know, if not a starter on the offensive line, which I think probably is more likely. He's, he's certainly depth there, and that's a guy who has played a ton of games, ton of snaps, can come in and contribute day one for Oregon you know, at a position of need as we're turning over, you know, four starters leaving that line this year. So talk a little bit about, you know, Oregon getting Angelou and what, what he does for this line. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll go ahead. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'll go ahead. Cool. Uh, love it. Plug and play. Uh, good. Again, just like we talked about with Silva, this is going to be a guy that I, I don't think is getting 
enough traction or appreciation by duck fans uh that he should it's kind of just a yeah okay he wasn't he wasn't excellent at texas well he was a glue guy at texas he was the guy that they missed when he wasn't out there he was the guy that if you were paying attention really kind of anchored that thing down and made it go he was a two-time captain for the offensive uh team like I, I like I'm told he showed up and saw some of the practices at Oregon jumped right in wasn't afraid to to you know talk to the guys and be like hey what are you guys doing get after it like and he hadn't even committed yet so love it I, I love everything about this and again this is going to be an instant plug and play glue guy this is going to be the guy that comes in and when he's not out there Oregon fans are gonna be like oh crap where's junior but you're not really going to appreciate until it gets to that point so uh you know Again, probably, in my mind, certainly not getting the traction that I think it should with Oregon fans. Absolutely love this pickup. Junior could have had 15 offers to play anywhere around the country. Uh, Adrian Clem was one of the very first home visits he did uh, when he once he had entered the transfer portal. Uh, the two hit it off immediately, and Junior just said, I just want to visit Oregon and be done. And that was a wrap. So uh, had this young man not not really handled his recruitment that way, he, you know, Ohio State, everybody would have been on him. Yeah, I, I love Angelau. Um, and like there, it's not, I don't love Angelau because I think he's like a first round pick after one year. I love Angelau because of all the leadership traits that you discussed and the fact that he's just a, he's just a, like when you watch him on tape, you can tell he's a guy that grinds in the weight room and that is like a leader by example because he is a, he's a handful, man. Like he just, he, first of all, he's the strongest offensive lineman on the team right now um like he when he gets hands on guys his upper body strength he really creates a lot of movement um and he can he can, like his down blocks are pretty devastating um athletically like he's 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 fine he's a good player but he's not like an elite athlete at the position but he's playing guard and like if Oregon wants to run those counter schemes that we were in last year like run it behind Angelau like Angelau is going to down block that 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 one technique that nose tackle um, in, into the opposite C gap. I mean, their ass is getting out of there. Like he's going to clear that whole side out. So, um, really strong guy. I think he. I think his skill set is different than some of the guys we had this year. And so I think that it kind of changes maybe some of the run schemes that we see um, because his strengths are really that like old school, like what Oregon was doing under Mario Cristobal, where we run a lot of duo in the inside zone, and he just base blocks guys because of how strong he is. Um, and so I think it's a big pickup. I think. Adding, I, I can't speak to the leadership qualities like you can. I don't have the sources on the inside for that. Um, but hearing that makes me even more confident this is a great pickup because Oregon desperately needs to continue to build the culture um, and, and get that leadership and get the softness out of the program. Um, having, having guys like that is invaluable as well and helps set the tone for those young guys that are coming up in the program. So um, I really, really love Angelau. I think he's going to be a good player for us. He's got all the requisite size and traits that you look for in a guard. Um, and I think that he's going to be as good or better than anything we got at the right guard position this year. That brings us to the final uh, transfer commit, and, and it's certainly a huge one, uh, literally and figuratively, for Oregon. You know, the, the Rhode Island commit, great story. I watched this whole press conference yesterday when he committed to Oregon. You know, what an awesome story, this kid, you know, out of Harlem. Um, you know, under-recruited coming out of high school, worked his tail off, went to Rhode Island, um, and everybody, everybody, I think, wanted this kid. You know, he's just, there's not that many good tackles in the portal. 
Um, he's one of them. Oregon needed needed a tackle who can come in and compete for a starting job this coming season, and Clem was able to get the deal done with a Johnny Cornelius, uh, the transfer from Rhode Island. So, QB, you know, start with that. Yeah, um, so kind of hard to find Rhode Island tape, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, thankfully, they did have some games against the Power 5 teams, uh, so I got to watch them against Pitt this year, and then I watched them against Albany from 2021. And a lot of fans were like, why Albany? Well, Jared Verse was at Albany. And he transferred to Florida State and was one of the best pass rushers in the country this year. Um, and he was fantastic in both of those games. I mean, against really high-quality players for Pitt, pretty dominant, actually. Um, really strong kid. Like, in terms of as a run blocker, he's pretty devastating. Um, but athletically, he's just so balanced. He's very smooth. He's a plug-and-play right tackle. I think he's better in pass pro than Salah. Um, already like Sala just had times to get unbalanced and really I think that Ajani's strongest trait is his balance and body control um, just really can mirror has long arms long levers can can sit and anchor um, I, I this is a huge pickup I think he's the best offensive lineman in the portal um, and so for Clem to go out and get him I feel really good about an offensive line for Oregon that goes like Connor Lee Harper JPJ Angelau and and Cornelius like that's a fantastic offensive line and really like I don't know that you could have answered the bell of losing a bunch of really experienced guys as well as kind of putting that group together here this offseason so um, I'm really excited about Johnny Cornelius I think he's a one-year and then to the NFL kind of guy um, and that's exciting to, to be able to bring in NFL caliber prospects to replace uh, NFL caliber prospects at right tackle yeah I mean let's I mean, let's call it spade a spade. This is an upgrade at tackle. I mean, it is from from this season to what we believe a Johnny Cornelius is going to bring to Oregon. Um, this is very likely an upgrade. And he does have uh, a couple years available. So I guess potentially you could see him out there for multiple years, but I, I highly doubt it. Um, yeah, I, don't, you know, I don't think we're going to get that lucky. No, I, I think he got... Like Gonzo. Yes, no, totally agree. But I mean, he does have that available should anything come up. Um, but yeah, like like we've talked about already, a couple of things. I think Adrian Clam did a tremendous job putting together, uh, you know, a group of guys that he could develop, and then bringing in a group of guys that are going to come in and, and compete and play for him right away at Oregon that they needed. Uh, Johnny Cornelius being the headliner of that because he's uh, like we've said, he's ready made, he's plug and play. Um, you know, I've called him the biggest signing for Oregon so far in the cycle because, I mean, we both know you need your bookend tackles to protect your quarterback that you worked very hard on bringing back. Um, so we know that that's of utter importance. Uh, Cornelius feels that, uh, fills that role. And like Doug said, I thought Doug, Doug made a great point, man. That, that press conference, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. Usually I jump on those things. And if it's not, if the announcement's not done within about five minutes, I'm starting to get antsy and pissed. But his story was really good. Like the people went up there, you could tell this was a big thing for them. You could tell they were passionate about Ajani and, you know, him being able to make this selection and proud of him for, you know, having the opportunity to get re-recruited again by some of the elite schools in the country. Uh, I thought it ended up being a really, really good press conference. And I'm glad I tuned in to watch it because normally I don't and just kind of wait for the news to hit. Um, so yeah, you got to love this story. I think, you know, I, I just can't speak enough about what coach Clem did. I know people are down on, you know, maybe some of the signees at the prep level, which I think he did the best with what he could. And then going out and, and attacking these two transfers are really what kind of changed my mind 
um, in regards to that class. So, yeah, this is the guy that I think Duck fans will will look back in a year and go like, man, I'm glad we had that guy. All right. I think that covers it. We're two hours in, boys. I think that covers everybody we've talked about. Any more thoughts before we call a wrap on this one? No, I mean, I think that's what happens when you have 34 guys or whatever it is to talk about when you factor in transfers and prep players. So um, I think this is overall just big picture. Like, what a, like a great class. Like, you talk about kind of the roster transition that Oregon's undergoing with Dan Lanning and his guys just kind of like looking at the roster after a year and being like, yeah, this isn't going to work. Like, we got to get, we got to get better. We got to bring in better players. And I think they've really accomplished that across the board. Um, and where they maybe didn't get it in the prep cycle, they're finding it in the transfer portal. And it's still somewhat early in the portal cycle, but I think that Oregon's probably going to add another three to four players out of the portal that's enhanced this roster. And, um, I'm just really excited to see what this group looks like once we can get them on the field in Oregon uniforms. Yeah, it uh, it's a good balance, right? It's just it's it was a good balance of like you said of guys that you can bring in from the prep level, some that are going to be a little bit more ready made to contribute right away, some that might be developmental guys because you are going to need those guys down the line, and then a good complement with some of the transfer guys that they've brought in. Um, it shows to me that this 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 coaching staff, uh, all these guys are committed to winning and winning now, um, and but still not doing that for the sake of the future. Um, I think that takes a lot of planning, a lot of foresight, and I think they've certainly done that. So, yeah, uh, it was a it was the best signing day I've ever covered uh, by a long shot, uh, regardless of what happens with Peyton Bowen, regardless of if they add anyone else, which they we didn't even talk about it, but they still got Ashton Porter, another four star defensive lineman. And then, of course, tight end Jamari Johnson that we did talk about hanging out there that that announced in early January. Ducks are favored for both of them. So, um yeah, great, great, great way to close. Uh, great way to attack this cycle in the spring. Because remember, you know, when this coaching staff showed up, they were already a little bit behind in 2023 recruiting. You know, and it's, oh, well, they showed up in, in December and January. Yeah, they did. And you're already behind in that, that next year of recruiting. The Ducks already have four commits for the 2024 class. So I feel like that really, uh, you know, provides fact to what I'm saying there. So um, the way they were able to get in and attack and get going and have success in the spring and then close strong on signing day. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it, it definitely, <laughs> what a difference a week makes, right? Imagine us recording this podcast last week when everybody was in doom and gloom and, and yet here we are and we can't say enough good things about this staff. So I guess it just goes to, you know, goes to show you got to have a little patience sometimes. Yeah. With that said, unless Doug has anything to add, I think it's a good time to wrap up the pod. Go for it. You, you mean you don't, you don't want to go for a third hour? <laughs> no, I think, I, think we've, uh, I think we've covered it all. Uh, really appreciate all the support. I mean, it's been fantastic since um, everyone's got – since we kind of combined forces here and got everybody on board here with the podcast. And so I uh, just wanted to say thank you to everybody. This is going to be the last podcast before Christmas that gets recorded. And we're going to start doing some deeper dives into the, the greater roster at large and kind of what things look like obviously some bowl coverage um we'll get a preview out for that for the bowl game as well but just want to thank everybody wish everybody a uh, merry christmas so if you guys all have a really safe holiday uh, i know there's going to be some ice in the portland area so uh, be safe and yeah just uh, enjoy family while you guys have them so uh with that said 
we're signing off here from the Scoop Dog Podcast. 